Boom Boom, a fortnightly podcast about some great stealth slash stealthy video games and also some rubbish ones. On every episode, we go in-depth and all spoilery on one specific game and we discuss whether said game stealth and its Boom Boom are up to snuff. My name is Colm O'Hearn and joining me on this episode is a man who redefined stealth action. It's Adam Carroll. Good evening. And a man who actioned redefining stealth. It's Josh Wise. (laughs) Hello. Before we discuss the game that we're going to be talking about today, we needed to get into the right headspace of when this game came out. So lads, please join me. Get your party hats, your blowers and your American red cups because tonight we're going to party like it's November 18th, 2002. When are we going to start saying 2002? I was thinking that the other day. Yeah. Maybe 2016 was when was when I started saying 20. Does that sound right? But, 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 but we say... Hold on, hold on. But we say things like <laughs> 1904 and, you know, like, 19, why, why oh, don't yeah, we say... 1904, 1906. Like, why don't we say 2002? It is weird, isn't it? I guess we could, yeah. <laughs> I don't know why I'm delaying because I have a feeling we're going to be talking about this game for a while. So, yes, let's delve into what was happening in and around the world on the 18th of November, 2002. 2002. Mm. So... Two days prior, on the 16th of November, the first case of, no, not where your mind is going, you need to go back a little bit further, (laughs) it was the first case of the SARS virus, it was recorded in the Guangdong uh, province in China. A couple of days previously then, about a week before that, on the 10th of November, Ben Affleck would propose to his then-girlfriend, pop star and actress in Out of Sight, which is a better movie than Ocean's Eleven, according to Andy Schatz of Monaco What's Yours is Mine fame. Jennifer Lopez. Are they back together now? They are. Like, it took a while, but they got there in the end. Also, uh, something that happened on the 19th of November. My God. Do you remember Michael Jackson dangling his nine-month-old baby, oh. Prince Michael Blanket Jackson, from a balcony in Berlin's Adlon Hotel? God, yeah. Did that happen then? Of course, of course. Christ. If you have a nine-month-old baby, I, I'd say leave it all. Like, don't, don't bother dangle them over a balcony. I think it's ill-advised. Yeah. Keeping it music or somewhat music-related... We are talking about a number one in America that we have discussed previously. Blurred lines. <laughs> no, we are pre. We are pre blurred lines. Blurred lines is in the embryonic stages of the, in the recording studio at this stage. I think. No, it was "Lose Yourself" oh, by Young Marshall Mathers off of the Eight Mile soundtrack. In the UK, however, completing this very 2002 duo of number ones, a different one. We have Too Dirty to Clean Her Act Up. It's Christina Aguilera featuring Redman with Dirty. Mm -hmm. (laughs) 
Got to pronounce that extra R. <laughs> yeah, you R. the extra R in there. I appreciate that. That's good stuff. In the cinema then, topping the box office in both the UK and in America was Harry Potter and the Chamber of Secrets. Oh, blimey. With every passing day, I feel vindicated that I never got into Harry Potter. But yeah, that's what was happening in and around the world on the the date that the game we're going to be talking about today came out. But now you want to know about the game we're talking about today. And we tell you about that in a segment we like to call Back of the Box. So yes, the game we're talking about today is Splint... I apologise. Messed it already. The game we're talking about today is called Tom Clancy's Splinter Cell. Mm-hmm. What is it? Some of you may be asking. You know, it's a, it's a bit old. There may be some younger listeners wondering, what well, what actually is Splinter Cell? Well, it is a, a globe-trotting tale of political intrigue amongst world superpowers. And also, there's a quiet yet athletic retiree involved <laughs> with a salt and pepper hairstyle. <laughs> when did this game come out? Yes, as I said, on the Xbox and PC in North America is uh, or sorry, just on the Xbox in North America. It was, yeah, the 18th of November, 2002. Then in Europe came out on the 29th of November of the same year. Then on PC, it was a, a, literally a year after uh, its release dates in both Europe and in America. So I'm guessing it, it, it had a, a timed exclusive deal. Then, like, the game was ported to, like, loads of other platforms. PlayStation 2, GameCube, Game Boy Advance... Engage. These versions were released between the 28th of March 2003 to the 10th of December 2003. So kind of a, what would that be? A 10 month period-ish. Uh, it also came to Mac on the 29th of September 2004. And the most recent release of this game was on PlayStation 3 because it was part of the Splinter Cell classic HD mm-hmm. trilogy along with Pandora Tomorrow and Chaos Theory and that came to Europe in August of 2011 and America in September 2011 this is usually the part of the show where we tell you what's on the back of the physical box and in front of us here we have at least an image of the back of the UK Xbox case and I'll just read you a bit of the blurb here because it's, it's pretty good. It's, it's, you know, it's all sizzle, really. Uh, your name is Sam Fisher and you are the best <laughs> and modest. You're the you best. are the best field operative of a secretive NSA sub-agency sent to execute uh, desperate missions. You're the last resort of your government. Should you be captured or killed, all knowledge of your existence will be denied. You are a splinter cell. Dun, dun, dun. Mm, it's great. It's that's great. Very and there's good. a couple of couple of screenshots here showing you the lighting. Uh, force enemies to cooperate or use them as human shields. <laughs> and they have just another couple of notes here. Nine pulse pounding stealth missions from the world of Tom Clancy. And also an interesting point mm. uh, that this made it onto the box. With Michael Ironside as the voice of Sam Fisher. But I know, Adam, you actually have the physical PS2 box in front of you. And it's slightly different. There's one one extra image. Then on the new features, it says, Four new levels of gut-wrenching stealth action. 30 minutes of never, never seen before cinematics. And a new intro with original music by the Prague Orchestra. And then... With Michael Ironside as a voice, Sam Fisher. Yes, we, we'll we'll talk about the differences later on. But yeah, there are there are slight differences uh, between the kind of the ported PlayStation Two and GameCube version and the kind of original P- PC and 
Xbox version. Another thing we do from time to time, because it does depend on the game, we tell you what's inside the manual of the game. Now, the, the Splinter Cell manual, it's not classic, like, say, the Dark manual. No, there's no Bloody Mary recipes in no, there. No-, no thanking you for the game and saying, like, oh, Twilight is shit. Yeah. But the only <laughs> thing I did want to point out in this is that you do get, like, breakdowns of all the characters, which is quite nice. But it, And it also gives you things like, you know, totally inconsequential. The, their heights and weight. Oh, I love shit like that. Irving Lambert, he's 6'2". Good to know. Yep. Cheers. Oh, and, you know, there's a real thing in... Uh, I think it's, it's a real thing in, in Japan, and I don't know why. Maybe know what I'm going to say. Blood types. Yeah. Uh, I always used to see that in manuals. You know, give you the size, the weight, and the blood type. It's like, oh, good to know. If they need a transfusion, that's what I'll say. <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah, let me, for those of you that didn't play the game, let me recap the story for you. And as I said, this is going to be a recap of the original PC uh, and Xbox version. And kind of to what Adam said, they tweaked it slightly for the PS2 and GameCube one. Uh, and also, they brought out a book that kind of contradicts what I'm about to say a little <laughs> bit. And that book implies that Splinter Cell, the original Splinter Cell, wasn't Fisher's first m- mission for a third echelon. I don't, I don't know why or what it's a bit odd but yeah here's the here's a, a bit of a recap of the story so a retired u.s navy seal with a gravelly voice called sam fisher joins the nsa uh, specifically their super secret third echelon division it's secret because it allows the u.s government to deny their existence if things go south and as i said off the back of the box fisher is a splinter cell so a lone operative on the field supported by a remote team now fisher is asked to join third echelon by colonel and old friend irving lambert 6-2 irving lambert <laughs> fisher puts a lot of trust in him because he joins knowing pretty much fuck all about what's happening but anyway he's given a little nerd called vernon wilkes jr to be according to lambert fisher's quote wings wheels and weapons during missions but uh, as well as being a nerd he also smokes cigarettes in one cutscene or he's going to smoke a cigarette in one cutscene so you know he's a he's a cool renegade nerd it's fine absolutely with those two and tech expert Anna Grimm's daughter uh, Fisher goes off in his adventure so what what is happening well Fisher must first head for Tbilisi Georgia to investigate the disappearance of two CIA agents he finds them brilliant dead not so brilliant. Uh, Fisher <laughs> discovers that a Russian called Grinko may be involved and he tracks into the Ger- Georgian Ministry of Defence and here he discovers what's really going down. So Georgian president and, for my money, J. Jonah Jameson doppelganger, in <laughs> Nicolades, is gearing up to wage war on neighbouring country Azerbaijan. He wants their oil supply, and it's as simple as that really, once Georgia detects America snooping around, Nicolades gets his military to begin their murderous rampage. So while Fisher discovers something called the Ark in Nicolades' plans shortly after this, but at this point he doesn't know what it is, but it comes up later, uh, it's also around this time that Nicolades begins to wage a sort of tech war on America. So there are blackouts, uh, attacks on power plants, etc. And this leads to multiple deaths in uh, a number of US cities. At first, Third Echelon thought there was a mole in the CIA, but really it was just some absolute moron called Mitchell Doherty, name and shame, who was working on an unsecure laptop that the Georgians were able to hack. 
just absolute each uh, <laughs> but the hack was tracked to a nearby building called Kalinatek which is where Fisher learns that Nicolads has taken refuge in the Chinese embassy in Myanmar this then makes the Americans think that the Chinese are in bed with the Georgians, so they're keen to investigate. Uh, Fisher learns that a guy called Kang Ferong, who is a high-ranking member of the Chinese army, uh, he discovers that he's working with Nicolads. And in fact, they, the two have captured a few American soldiers and their plan is to slaughter them on camera on a live, quote, webcast, which delightfully <laughs> uh, dates this game. So Fisher <laughs> stops the live stream anyway, kills the baddies, frees the goodies... Hoorah, America. Uh, he also importantly learns that Firong uh, isn't acting on behalf of the Chinese government and is actually working alone with Nicolads. This puts a halt to World War III, which is quite handy. <laughs> uh, Fish's work, not done though. He heads back to the Chinese embassy, kills Firong, and then heads to the presidential palace of the Georgian president, new Georgian president, Varlam Kristavi. Here, Fisher learns that the Ark, something that's just a name to him earlier, he learns that it's a nuclear suitcase bomb that's somewhere in America and Nicolas could blow it up at any time. But he doesn't, calm down, because Fisher eventually finds Nicolas and he kills him. Happy days. Done and dusted. Now, there are some additions in uh, the three missions, I think, is it, that were part of the DLC pack for PC and Xbox. And there was one mission then, as we said, I believe, uh, that was PS2 exclusive. But that's your main story recap, more or less. A few points to kind of slide under the door. The nerd dies at one point and Sam acts like someone left the milk out of the fridge. Uh, also, Sam has a daughter called Sarah and it, it it's them trying to add some emotional heft to the game. Yes. We'll discuss whether it does or not later on. So that's your story recap of Tom Clancy's Splinter Cell. So now... Let me tell you who made this thing. Who was the developer behind the game? Well, it was returning developer Ubisoft Montreal. And for the first time ever, we're talking about a game where we've covered both the developer and the publisher before. So if you want to know about the beginning days of Ubisoft Montreal, check out our Assassin's Creed episode from April of this year. Hmm. We begin this part of the UB Montreal story in the late 90s and not in Montreal, actually, but in Paris where a group of developers at Ubisoft were working on a very different game to Splinter Cell. So in a Retro Gamer article, The Making of Tom Clancy's Splinter Cell from October 2019, Splinter Cell producer and the man simply credited as, quote, original creation in the credits, Francois Coulon, he explained that in the game they were making, quote, You would have a strategy core layer where you would see something above, like a map in Warcraft 2, and then you would go into any unit and play them in third person or first person view. So the team decided they didn't have the tech to make this work at the time. So they said, look, we'll, we'll just leave it. A few members of the team went to New York and decided to pick it up again. But the focus changed quite a bit from what it was. Well, a lot, actually, I suppose. And it got a name as well. The Drift. <laughs> so the premise for this version of the game is described in IGN's article, House of Dreams, the Ubisoft Montreal story, which is posted on uh, or in February 2014. And yeah, the premise was described as a uh, retro future sci-fi third person shooter. So if you ran through a crowd while holding a gun, the people would react appropriately and you know they'd go bananas the gun could also transform into a sort of grappling hooky thing it could also fire cameras into walls and 
this you could change vision modes for the player as well while all this sounds impressive for 1999 the drift still wasn't really panning out for ubi montreal at one point the developer pitched what they had as a james bond game actually now we never got that game or the drift because ubisoft decided that making a new series was going to be too risky on the soon to be released ps2 and xbox consoles then a lot happened in a short space of time. So a number of those New York-based devs were sent to Montreal and Ubisoft made an acquisition. So in 2000, the French publisher acquired uh, Red Storm Entertainment. So the developer that was founded in 1996 by a software company called Virtus, a man named Doug Littlejohns, and also American novelist Tom Clancy. More on that in the publisher bit. So, the Red Storm uh, purchase allowed Yubi to slap Clancy's name at the beginning of video game titles. This made them revisit the drift because they thought that Tom's name could be enough to transform it into a fully-fledged video game. As Kulon told RetroGamer, quote, We said, let's do this. It's like James Bond without the humour. And that's how it all started. We did the first prototype. We thought about the stealth thing from the beginning. Yubi Montreal took inspiration from multiple stealth games of the time and went about crafting their own game using many of the ideas they'd been working on for the drift like all those high-tech gadgets with the addition of some new bits and pieces of course one being the design of their solid snake sam fisher so in games radar article the making of splinter cell how the decision to ruthlessly enforce stealth created a classic which was published in december 2021 lead character artist martin kaya said quote i was pretty much on my own when i first started designing sam i was coming up with ideas i thought were cool but the more i was progressing on the design the more opposition i was encountering from some of the higher ups I remember some really long meetings where every aspect of Sam's design was being questioned. For instance, when I originally pitched the idea that we needed a strong visual gimmick for our game, something as recognisable as Batman's silhouette is in pop culture, I presented the now famous Three Green Dots. That idea was almost instantly shot down. (laughs) Mad, isn't it? Yeah. Associate producer Roxanne Gosselin. I really hope you're appreciating my French... Mm. My, my butchering of French names. <laughs> but yes, uh, them and uh, level designer Neil Alfonso uh, also spoke with Games Radar and they told him that the Sam Fisher character took more than two years of research and improving to finalise him. And that there was a conscious decision to make him look slightly older than the average video game protagonist. Uh, from reading many articles on the making of this game, the original Splinter Cell was very much a team effort, though, with ideas coming from all parts of the team. So as well as Sam Fisher, apparently another person came up with the light and shadows aspect, another came up with the split jump, and so on. As producer Francois Coulon told Retro Gamer, quote, It was joint effort. If you put the people in the right understanding of what you're doing, then you're empowering them to be creative. And many of these ideas came about like that. There were teething issues, obviously. Level designer Hugo Landreville-Potvin. Oh, <laughs> sorry, sorry, Hugo, I really butchered that. But he told Games Radar that changes had to be made during development. He said, quote, In Splinter Cell, the player can go through an area using different approaches of stealth, gadgets and combat. But ultimately, the progression through a level is linear. The original level design direction was more of an open one with multiple interconnecting areas, closer to the Thief series. Unfortunately, we ended up creating levels that were too big, which resulted in badly paced gameplay. As a result, the first round of levels were never completed. 
Another thing that they changed was Sam's ability to nab weapons from enemies. Hugo pointed out that they removed it because the player became too powerful with this in the game, which removed the tension. Level designer Neil Alfonso said, quote, The single biggest change from my point of view was dropping the ability just for Sam to pick up weapons in the field. This basically made running and gunning far more viable than we'd wanted. Another thing they worked on was Splinter Cell's three alarms mechanic. As Hugo put it, quote, Each time an alarm would go off, all enemies would get tougher. After three alarms, the mission would be failed. It was a much debated change that ruthlessly enforced stealth and made this game much harder. Ultimately, those changes made the original Splinter Cell a good game, although a hard game. Maybe too hard. Correct. <laughs> but that's one reason. I believe it is remembered. Bit of editorialising there. Um, <laughs> just for, for the listener. Kulan also mentioned that they began working on the story in 1999. He wanted a narrative that dealt with geopolitical issues, but by 2001, when they were in development, things had to be altered slightly because of the 9-11 attacks in America. He said, quote, If you remember, it starts with an oil problem in Georgia, except in the game, when we did it, it was Azerbaijan. We'd been advised to change. It wasn't clear what would happen from this event and what would go on with the world, so it was a bit touchy. I don't know if it was a good decision or not. Associate producer Roxanne Gasselon told Games Radar that the lad with his name on the box did stick his oar in when it came to the narrative too. Uh, she said, quote, Tom Clancy was really involved in the story. He reviewed the script and gave us a lot of good advice. I'd love to know what that advice was. Here's all my books. I'm quite sceptical of that. In Game, uh, Game Informer's UB Uncensored, the history of Ubisoft by the people who wrote it, published in December 2011, Ubisoft founder and CEO Yves Guimot uh, spoke about how Ubisoft's plan was, ultimately, to compete with the leader in the space, Metal Gear Solid, by making the game an Xbox exclusive. Guimot said, quote, We knew that some aspects would not be as good as Metal Gear, but using the technology of the Xbox would be superior in terms of graphical quality. So that's why we said, we know we won't sell that many because the machine is new and it's not selling huge quantities yet but it is a way for us to create a brand on a machine that has low competition. Then we went to Microsoft and we said, look at what we're doing for you. Uh, we did a survey where we asked consumers, would you buy a machine to get this game? And what would you think if you had a Metal Gear type game on the Xbox? It showed that the game would sell machines like hotcakes. It doesn't sound like the big wigs were too hands-on with development though, per se. Uh, as associate producer Roxanne Gasolo. Uh, whose name, I apologise, I think I've pronounced it differently every time. But as they said to Games Radar, quote, We didn't have many constraints. Ubisoft almost gave us cat blanche on everything. Then, when the game was shown off during E3 2002, level designer Hugo landreville Potvin. Uh, said the team I thought I was doing so well but a few of these names cut me up I apologise to everyone but anyway the level designer said that the team were aware Splinter Cell could be something for the company they said quote the moment we all understood we had something was when we realised the Metal Gear team was in the crowd pen and paper in hands carefully taking in notes Splinter Cell was not just another game it was a challenger. And I don't know if that's true, but it's a brilliant story. And, and also, <laughs> it is good. It is good. But I'd love to... I mean, did you go over there? Because imagine if they were just writing down, like, restaurant reservations for where they were going to go <laughs> after the thing. That, do you know what I mean? Like, you'd have to go, excuse me, 
uh, Hideo, what what did you write down on that? What's that? <laughs> like, I mean, that's conjecture, isn't it? You can't just claim, yeah, I'm definitely taking notes on this pen and paper. Like, come on, it. We should. I'm putting some salt on that right now. There were never any, you know. <laughs> but well, there we go. But that is the very Splinter Cell focus story of Ubisoft Montreal up until the launch of the game. So the publisher then, obviously, is Ubisoft. And like Ubisoft Montreal's story, I won't go over ground that we've already covered in our Assassin's Creed episode. If you'd like to learn how Ubisoft was originally an offshoot of a a family of farmers in Brittany, France, then have a listen to that. Instead, we pick up the story of Ubisoft in 1999 after they've acquired some cash by going public. So they raised hundreds of millions in uh, cash and decided that they were going to push for expansion into America. And that's when they acquired Red Storm Entertainment. Now, I won't go into the history of Red Storm too much as we may do that on another episode. But suffice to say, it was a developer that had already made a name for itself with the tactical shooter series Rainbow Six. And of course, you know, the, the Tom Clancy name was handy as well. The cachet that the novelist had in the US gave Ubisoft credibility in the States that they previously didn't have. So editorial executive director Serge Haskell told Game Informer in that article I referenced when speaking about Ubisoft Montreal, uh, they said, quote, At that time, we were very action-adventure oriented. We had, a, we had a race game called Pod and some Formula One, but we were not that good in other fields. Red Storm was a very good opportunity to change that. We liked a lot of the stuff there. They had maybe the best animation system at the time and it evoked a very strong feeling of being on a tactical team. The gameplay was great, so we thought it would be a great match to work with them to bring what we knew about console games with their knowledge of Tom Clancy, War Games, PC and online. But I think to go any further with that might cannibalise episodes we might do around, say, a Ghost Recon or Rainbow Six. So we'll we'll stop that there. You got a bit of Ubisoft publisher flavour in the developer section anyway as well. So yeah, there that is your developer and your publisher of Tom Clancy's Splinter Cell. So let me give you some sales figures then. So in America, Tom Clancy's Splinter Cell was the seventh best-selling game in November 2002. It was the fourth best-selling game in America in December 2002. And it was the 19th best-selling game overall in America in 2002. I don't know where it ranked in 2003 because I could only find the top 10 and it didn't crack that. But in a very short space of time, you know, it made number 19 uh, overall for 2002 in the space of like a month and a half or so. Then in the UK, it was the 30th best-selling game in the UK uh, for the year of 2002. But then it's 2003, it was the 7th best-selling game uh, in for, for the year. So the game sold in 2002... And again, worth remembering, like six odd weeks-ish, yeah, five, six weeks, to sell 480,000 copies worldwide. They passed 1 million units in January 2003 in the States alone. And the most recent sales numbers I could lay my hands on were from March 2004, when it was revealed that Splinter Cell had sold over 6 million copies worldwide. The critical reception of this one? On Xbox, it has a 93 Metacritic score. On PC, it has a 91 Metacritic score. And on PS2, it has an 89 Metacritic score. And that is your Splinter Cell back of the box. So we are going to take a quick little break. 
And after that, then we will come back to talk to you about the marketing and press coverage of Splinter Cell. But first, dear listener, you can have a listen to a trailer we're going to discuss in a moment, which is just simply put Tom Clancy's Splinter Cell trailer, Xbox, The Difference. And this is a doozy. So you take a listen to that and then we will be right back for more Splinter Cell chat. You have the right to freedom of speech. You have the right to freedom of worship. You have the right to freedom from what? And you have the right to freedom from fear. I alone have the fifth freedom, the right to do whatever it takes to ensure that your four freedoms are protected and preserved. I alone have full authority to spy, steal, destroy, and assassinate in order to protect America and her freedoms. I alone may go above the law to protect the law. I commit brutality to prevent brutality. I may kill to protect the lives of many. I seek not to derive pleasure by inflicting violence on others, but rather to dissuade enemies of our nation. I work alone. If captured or compromised, my country and president will and must disavow any knowledge of my existence and of the fifth freedom. This I understand. I'm Sam Fisher. I'm a splinter cell. Okay, then, let us chat more Splinter Cell. And firstly, let us talk about some pre-launch marketing. And the first thing I do want to discuss is what the listener just heard. And that is the... It's not the launch trailer. It's not a release trailer. It's just it's a trailer I found. And I was like, this is unbelievable. The difference. And also I found a, a TV ad that has kind of similar-ish <laughs> vibes. But this trailer was included in an Xbox promo DVD called The Difference. <laughs> I can't find out exactly where somebody would have gotten this DVD. Um, but yeah, it had some trailers for upcoming games on it. And also music videos. <laughs> I love that. I was able to track down a listing for, I think, a Swedish... Somebody in Sweden is selling one of these, I think. And in it, like, so the acts are Gorillas, Ministry of Sound, Primal Scream. So they all have music videos here. And also somebody called Fisher Spooner. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> Do you know Fisher Spooner? Yeah, yeah. Would you recommend or... or no, no, you're right. No espionage explosion for you, Fisher Spooner. No. <laughs> but yeah, I, I don't know where you'd get this uh, DVD. But anyway, this trailer specifically, I love the quite muted music like mm. it's not but it's just kind of like oh <laughs> yeah oh, just kind of in the background ums and ahs and like and yeah you have this i'm gonna guess very handsome man because you don't see him but i'm gonna guess he's a handsome man who's voicing this he sounds really almost rugged. certainly yeah. he's telling me about my freedoms <laughs> it's a it's a thing i'm gonna bring up later but there's something that feels so american about this mm. definitely yeah and 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 the different and that's the other thing as well because i i had forgotten that and this trailer sort of reminded me that uh like it 
it really felt like an Xbox thing. Like, I, I can't, I, like, it really, because it was green, which helped, because that yeah. was the X. <laughs> the xbox color this whole idea of like the difference it's funny to think that it was just what was it ported like less than a year later they were going on about all this but yeah no it's a good trailer in a bad way if you, if you know what i mean it's sort of wonky but brilliant there were also you know there was a number of other sizzle trailers like there was there was the e3 2002 trailer mm-hmm. which you know the metal gear solid team were amazed by taking obviously. notes at yeah but uh, something i do enjoy about games from this era is we get like magazine adverts which is you know something we we don't get everywhere now i will say the splinter cell magazine adverts one i have put into our document that i was able to find from uh, pc gamer uh, issue number 103 from november 2002 it is very similar to the difference trailer. The text here says, I alone have the fifth freedom, the right to spy, steal, destroy and assassinate to ensure that American freedoms are protected, so on and so forth. But this other ad I did want to talk about, it is from Nintendo Power, issue 170, is from the July-August 2003 issue. And this is a bit different because this speaks about the connectivity between the GameCube and the Game Boy Advance. So I had the Splinter Cell on GBA, but never linked it up. I don't know what my problem oh, was. No, oh, yeah, man. Yeah, Splinter Cell on GBA, really, really good, by the way. Totally different. It's like 2D side-scrolling thing. Uh, I'm guessing you don't, still don't have the GBA and weren't able to see what it's like today. No, I, but I, it, it makes use of a really, really good thing. It's got a lot of the mechanics from the main ones. So you're climbing on pipes, tucking the legs in to avoid the fire and stuff but one of the best things it did was um when so you're on a two you're sort of moving left to right and there's enemies that patrol and if you press up on the d-pad sam will go into like doorways and it's so really so nicely styled because it's like the doorways in shadow and as he goes back in all you can see is the little three green dots and the guys just like ah. walk past and you come out again way better than it needed to be like had any right to be it was like oh Splits on GBA, totally worth it. Now, something that I have a number of clips from. So I believe this was on the Xbox disc, uh, but also the PS2 one, or maybe it was just on the PS2. I actually haven't been able to kind of track down where, uh, whether it was just on the PS2 or if it was on both the Xbox and the PS2. But there were extra behind the scenes feature, little featurettes on uh, on Splinter Cell uh, that obviously, you know, came out when the game came out on the 18th of November, 2002. And yeah, I have a couple of clips here that I wanted to play. Some give us a good bit of insight into what they were thinking at the time. And one is just, words can't describe <laughs> one of them, to be honest. But yeah, the first clip I wanted to play for you was senior producer Matthew Furlong talking about how they needed the premise of Splinter Cell to be as realistic as it could be, given the attachment of the Tom Clancy name. So take a listen to this. When you develop under Tom Clancy franchise, it means uh, it means that you need to validate and to justify everything. It takes place in a very near future, so uh, you need to use a political environment that is believable, that is linked to the actual situation. You need to use gadgets that are already existing, that are already used by special forces, or a gadget that is currently in research that is believable to exist in the very near future. We really want the player to feel that, oh my God, that 
this could happen for real, like tomorrow. Do you think a modable modular gun could happen tomorrow? Because <laughs> I, 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 it feels a bit twenty four to me. Don't give me. Look, I'm gonna, I'm gonna talk about the SC twenty K later on. Yeah, mm-hmm. I mean it's a it's a funny one because they make a whole thing about like. Oh, we. This is the third echelon's the thing where we can spend all the money that it would be impractical to spend on the army, right? So they got all these experimental weapons, but that weapon is like something that Buzz Lightyear would have. It's a bit of a. It's a bit of a magic toy weapon, um, with with all the little fold outy bits. I do. I can't help but love it though. Another clip here from lead animator Steve Dupont, uh, talking about things like the split jump and other kind of real world inspirations for Fisher's movements. Again, kind of, you know, hammering home the like realism, realism, realism aspect of this game. So take a listen to this. For a complex move like the split jump, we go directly to 3D, applying the basic animation notions until it fits the style. The inspiration came from a lot of sources. Uh, For moves like rappelling, uh, we use realistic SWAT tactics. We don't have some big lad who has crows that are friends or a levitating man in a gas mask who will tell me that, oh, you've been playing Castlevania. Yeah, like, it's yeah. all like, Splinter Cell is real. Metal Gear Solid mm-hmm. is shit. It's bullshit it's, for kids. It's, yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> um, and they, you know, they, they've been studying SWAT teams and all that. So, like, again, well, I guess we'll, we'll kind of delve further into how realistic this is. <laughs> so this next clip is lead level designer, Francois C. Pellon, who taught, I don't know if I'm hyper you're, like, you're nailing, no, you're nailing these. These last three have been top notch, <laughs> I thought. You dropped the end of them very nice, very nice. Yes, they, uh, in this clip, talk about how the team wanted to achieve, you know, the excellence, basically, with the light and shadow uh, and the interactive environments in this game. So take a listen to this. Unlike other games in Splinter Cell, we wanted to, uh, the shadow to be a safe territory for the player and bright areas to be the dangerous territory. With smaller environments, uh, we could make the gameplay much more intense, put the player much closer to the enemies, and it let Sam Fisher interact with the, the light and shadow much more effectively. The idea was to make uh, a fully interactive environment make it possible to shoot a computer, take a soda can, and try to uh, distract enemies. Um, but much more importantly, to shoot out lights. Shooting lights allow for a different gameplay experience depending on uh, basically how you play. That was the ultimate goal, and um, well, we made it happen. It's good, isn't it? TV's exploding. Uh, well, you know, it's a, it's a stealth game, but yeah. it's a bombastic game as well yeah. because you're able to destroy stuff. <laughs> and I, I remember, like, around this time, that's that's big. Like, you know, like Metal Gear Solid 2 as well. Like, oh, you're able to shoot the pots and pans. And I'm, I will say at this point, of course, we're going to compare this to Metal Gear Solid loads because these two series <laughs> will be compared loads. However... Like, what is forgotten about a little bit, and I don't want to delve into it too much because we're going to talk about it in a minute anyway, is how much this game cribs from Thief. Oh, yeah, big time. That's the light and dark and being safe in the shadows. and yep. Like, that's all Thief. Yeah, 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 for sure. I have yeah. another clip here. 
This is voice actor Michael Ironside, who portrayed the character of Sam Fisher in Splinter Cell. And uh, this is a clip of Ironside talking about how Sam is a very cross man. And he also talks about his own process for finding a character's voice. And if you listen carefully, you're also going to hear Michael Ironside insult the script. (laughs) Take a listen to this. Sam's a very frightened guy. You know... That's why he sort of walks in and does stuff like, Hi, I'm going to kill you. Because if you're a happy guy, you can make go, Hi, I'm going to kill you. When I'm breaking down a character, I usually try and find six to eight levels emotional. Um, if they're violent characters, I base them on fear. You know, uh, There's only really two disciplines in the universe, love and fear. Now, it's very hard to do something in an artificial environment and make it real. And I thought I'd, I'd like to try it. See if I could fit in, because I'm more of a reactor. Given the limitations of the dialogue, given the limitations of the responses and the choices within the game, put character and personality into that. I think I succeeded. You know, given the limitation, I think I think I did a decent job. Had a bloody good go of it, considering the shite that was knocking about. <laughs> yeah, no, I, I, yeah, it's tough because he does a great job. He does do a great job, but it is funny when he. I wonder how much Ironside holds it in high regard. <laughs> I think now he does. And I guess, look, talking about Sam Fisher, one final clip I have from these behind the scenes featurettes on the original game disc. This is so weird. This is so 2002. Now, this is Sam Fisher, not Michael Ironside. Sam Fisher (laughs) sitting on a chair. I'll try and describe the visuals, right? So you have a real world office and a real world chair. But the char- the computer game character of Sam Fisher is sitting in this real world chair in this real world office, Ubisoft Montreal's office. And Sam Fisher is talking to an interviewer, an off-screen interviewer. I don't know. <laughs> it's, it's like, are, are we to believe that Sam Fisher is an actor playing a version of Sam Fisher in the game Splinter Cell? It must be. When did Toy Story 2 come out? Late 90s, right? Because mm. you remember that thing, they must have been the first to do it. Like, Toy Story 2 had, like, the bloopers in the credits, and it was, like, kind, yes. of, a, kind of a breakthrough visual gag. So th- this surely is, like, a, a kind of riff on that idea, that idea of, like... It's a blooper thing. It's a behind the scenes thing, but it's, you know, we're actually going to fucking render It's not even a blooper. Them. No, like it's... it's, it's a, <laughs> a look, look, look for, for the people at home, like, let's play it. And I didn't really know where to clip this. So look, here is the entirety of Sam Fisher, the computer game character, talking like he is an actor in a game called Splinter Cell. I don't know. Just, just listen to this. So Sam, what was your role in the development of Splinter Cell? My role in the development of Splinter Cell. Hmm. Well, first Ubisoft brought me in as a technical advisor. For the sake of realism, they wanted input from someone who actually... Well, somebody who actually does this kind of work. But you ended up being the star. How did that happen? (laughs) They'd always wanted someone a little older, more professional, more experienced. You know, not some young goofball that you seeing your typical shooter. I think Martin Kaya was the one who decided to actually make me the character, you know, instead of somebody who was based on me. And how did you find working with the rest of the team? I've had the good fortune in my life to work with a lot of really talented and professional people. U.S. Navy SEALs, folks at third echelon, all real pros. It was no different here. 
What was the hardest part of the job? Without a doubt, animation. <laughs> the decision was made that they didn't want to use mocap. They wanted a more artistic feel, so it's all done by hand. So here I am, hanging off everything in the office while Steve and the animators are filming me, you know, to see how I move. Man, I must have spent hours doing the split jump. <laughs> I hated that part of the job. Speaking of the artistic feel of Splinter Cell, what are your thoughts on the game's graphics? Well, most of my experience with video games comes in the form of military training simulators. Needless to say, we're not even the same ballpark here. The fact that Splinter Cell uses light and shadows. I move from the light into the shadows, hide, I'm able to hide. The fact that they use this as the core game mechanic means that these lights, well, they're dramatic and beautiful, but they also create a real dramatic tension and evoke a strong mood. One more question, Sam. What about the rumors there is a sequel in the works? Have you signed on for Splinter Cell 2? Unfortunately, I'm not authorized to discuss those matters at this time. It's cringeworthy. It is. I don't know. I And I know it's like, get over it. It's Don't think about it too hard. But like, as I said, so Sam Fisher is an actor, but who has also killed people. Mm -hmm. Like he, because he's, you know, somebody who's done this work before. Yeah. So he is playing a version of himself. He's like Chris Ryan or Andy McNabb. You know, those guys where they're like, oh, I was actually in the SAS, but now I'm consulting on. Right. Yeah. You know. yeah. 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 I love the way the interviewer talks like he's like an AI or something. He's like, so, Sam, and what do you think about the. It's like, you're supposed to act like the guys in the room, like, loosen up a little bit, you know? <laughs> crazy but uh yeah those are some clips from the behind the scenes on the disc on the original disc then on something called the xbox exhibition demo disc volume 2 which uh, i believe came out on the 5th of march 2003 uh we got another another clip that i want to want to play for you lads but so I, I looked into these Xbox exhibition demo discs because I didn't know what they were before researching for this. So they were compilations of demos that, you know, you would get on the cover of a magazine or whatever. But these were specifically put together by Microsoft, by Xbox. And I'm almost positive these demo discs you bought in shops in America. They had, yeah, loads of demos. Again, music videos. Don't know why, but it, they did. I don't know if Fisher Spooner were involved in any of them. And also they had like features on games that uh, these features, these video features were produced by American TV channel G4. And I'm going to play a clip of the host, Bill Sindelar, who rattles off how the game looks great, how Metal Gear Solid 2 is shit. <laughs> <laughs> it's it's and the reason I've included this here is it is basically advertising masquerading as editorial <laughs> more or less so yeah take a listen to this of course any game that's expected to go toe to toe with Metal Gear Solid 2 has to look good and boy does Splinter Cell look good one of the most incredible features is the real-time shadows. Watch as the shadows will show up not just on Sam, but even on the gear he carries. Red Storm knows tactical shooters, and from what we've seen so far, it looks like Metal Gear Solid has some fierce competition coming. So we say, Snake who? I 
love Snake Who. Yeah, Snake Who's brilliant. <laughs> Snake Who is incredible. And that's that sort of thing they used to do on uh, like magazines and they're like, oh, move over Mario because yeah. Spyro's going to eat your lunch. It's like, no, he's not. He won't. <laughs> <laughs> I love that. I love that. And just like when, when they were like, yeah, let's shit on the other guy. That's our advert. We'll attack yeah. the other guy. They, you don't really get that these days, I don't think, either. It's like the... the do you remember Ty Tasmanian Tiger? Uh, yes, I do. There was like an advert for that when he was like little tiger fella walking through a hospital ward and it had like... Uh, dragon but it couldn't say the name of it and it was like a, it was like spyro but they were all wrapped up in white bandages and then it got to another little thing it was like bandicoot and it was like and he and he sort of like scares them all like he's put them all in the hospital i remember when i was a kid i was like that that's a cool edgy advert you know and and i bought tie i bought it for the gamecube so it works <laughs> i have some pre-launch press coverage for you and again I've included these because we're kind of going down that similar path because it's not just the advertising. The press are also making the connection between Splinter mm. Cell and Metal Gear Solid. So this is from uh, a Splinter Cell preview posted on IGN on the 14th of May, 2002. And yeah, Josh, could you read that out? A little excerpt of the preview for me, please. I enjoy the MGS series, but here's the thing I noticed after seeing Splinter Cell. MGS2 isn't as realistic and fluid as everyone makes it out to be. For example, if you do a roll near a wall, you'll finish the animation even though you aren't moving, and shaking guys to get items to drop looks very arcadey. It's not a bad thing, but it's not the realism that's advertised. Splinter Cell is real. Every animation looks natural. The game feels real, but still a lot of fun. And Ubisoft promises not to waste our time with 15 hours of story. (laughs) I went into Splinter Cell thinking it was another Rainbow Six type game. I couldn't have been more wrong. I've already ordered the wreath for... (laughs) I've already already ordered the wreath for Metal Gear Solid. This is definitely... It's definitely one to look forward to. That's top stuff. That's funny stuff. That I don't know about you lads, but I am taking all my copies of Metal Gear Solid out into the street and I'm burning them. Yeah. Get rid. Don't eat it. Sam's in my life. Never again. No, it's not realistic. <laughs> Fuck it. I had forgotten actually all this time how much it was like, oh, that's that's where we paint the target. We're going after it's with early on, it's pitched as a kind of MGS killer. I had forgotten just how much that was the case. but And I feel like that actually sort of faded away. Even with Pandora Tomorrow, which came out the same year as Snake Eater, I don't remember people going, oh yeah, f- fuck Snake Eater, this is the one. <laughs> I, I think it's sort of after the first Splinter Cell, I think that fizzles out a bit. But I guess we'll, we'll find out when we do future Splinter Cells. <laughs> yeah. I have an interview here from GameSpot. Posted on the 19th of December 2002, Tom Clancy's Splinter Cell PC Q&A. Uh, Splinter Cell producer Matthew Ferlon, uh said this after being asked if the PC version is easier because of the addition of a quick save feature. So he said, quote, It's all a matter of how you're using the save option. But yes, we knew that the save anytime option would make the game a little bit easier. Uh, as would the mouse control. Uh, which is a little bit more accurate than a console uh, controller. However, we've changed a few parameters in the AI 
in order to keep a good balance in the game. We think PC gamers and Xbox gamers will spend about the same number of hours on the game. We'll talk about the platforms we, we played it on, but definitely at two thirds of us availed of the quick save option. Mm-hmm. One other clip I wanted to play. So this is from, I mentioned G4 earlier. This was a series they did called Icons. And this was the episode on Splinter Cell. So this aired on the 18th of December, 2002. And this was, yeah, a documentary series that the channel did, which focused on people in games or just games. And it ran from 02 to 07. And they did a second Splinter Cell one in 2005 that was more about the series in its totality, I I believe. Um, But this uh, is about like 20, 22 minutes long. Um, and it has a lot of the interviews that were included in those behind the scenes interviews that were on the disc. So, which would make me think that I, I maybe G4 were involved with the, those, the interviews. I don't know, but I did have one clip of designer Antoine Dodon. I'm going to go with, um, and this is them talking about how the lighting system of another game influenced splinter cells. And this wasn't in the behind the scenes features on the actual game disc itself. So I wanted to include this. And also because the game that's mentioned was a bit like, oh, it's not, I was expecting you to say thief and you didn't. Huh. huh. All right. So yeah, t- take a listen to this. As it turns out, some friendly competition helps motivate the Splinter Cell team. Also, we saw the demo for Doom 3. They did some very interesting lighting effect and we wanted to make something as equally impressive for Splinter Cell. Before we discovered the dynamic lighting system, the traditional way to do lighting requires you to create very specific rules for every single object in the room that you wanted to be lit. So in order to create an environment rich with shadow, we had to design a new dynamic lighting system. Influenced by Doom 3's lighting Uh, system. Yes, yes, Mm. yes. So that is some pre-launch marketing and press coverage for Tom Clancy's Splinter Cell. So we're going to take a quick little break and then we will be back to talk to you about what we actually thought of this computer game. So we'll be back right after this. All right, then. Let's tell the lovely listeners, Adam and Josh, about what we thought of Tom Clancy's Splinter Cell. But you know what? Just before we do that, I want to know your knowledge of Splinter Cell before you played it for this very podcast. I bought it day one and it was a a lunch break school, but I bought it day one and I remember sitting there being blown away by how it looked. So when we're hearing and listening to all these like interviews where they're talking about the lighting mechanic and stuff like that, looking at this box, I was absolutely floored. So much so that if someone says to me, like, what's the... um." What kind of game like that do you remember? Spencer comes to mind. And then weirdly enough, then the next one that I can think of is Assassin's Creed. So two Ubisoft yeah. games. Kind of like when I look at the screenshot at the back of the box, I'm like, oh, that looks oh, unreal. That's weird. That's true. Yeah, I never thought of that. Ubisoft, yeah. Big yeah, graphics. but um, it was it was a day one purchase. And um, I I did find it incredibly challenging. But <laughs> yeah, it was, it was, it was, it was quite incredible to experienced at that time so mine was not a day one purchase my first ever exposure to it was around my friend uh ethan's house shout out to ethan don't know what he's up to these days <laughs> hello thanks for the memories uh he, <laughs> but he was one of those kids where when you were at school where uh just everyone just had a ps2 and like some people had game cubes 
and like two people had the original. The original Xbox was a real weird black sheep. If you knew a person who had a, an mm. OG Xbox back at school, it was like, oh, fucking hell. But, and I remember going around there uh, and he had, and of course, and that was, I sort of forgot how much Splinter Cell was, was a real Xbox game back then, you know, with the whole green colours and all that sort of stuff. I remember the, the first time I saw it, it was like, some of the best graphics I'd, I'd, I'd ever I'd ever seen, really. Splinter Cell 1 was like a fucking mind blower. And it's exactly the same as Adam. I was just a dumb kid. Uh, so I, I was obviously just shit at it. And like, I, but I remember <laughs> almost sort of loving how shit I was. Because uh, Ethan had like... He was a little bit more hardcore than me. And also partly it was like the original Xbox controller where my little hands just could not handle that controller. It was, it was, it was like mm. a dinner plate, the size of it. But I remember like failing a mission and it was like, yeah, it's because you walked over the, you know, gravel or something. Mm. And that blew my mind. And I remember, so even though I was rubbish at it, it was like, well, that's fucking amazing. And even though I'm shit at this, I've got to go out and buy it. And over the years... My knowledge before playing it for this pod, I think I finished Splinter Cell under a dozen times, probably, but probably maybe ten times, maybe like seven or eight times. So I didn't finish Splinter Cell like a dozen times or so. Mm-hmm. I mm-hmm. I do remember I did play it. I rented it for the PlayStation Two, and I I oh I don't know. <laughs> maybe I got to the second level or maybe the third level. I'm not sure because it was tough. No, over the past fortnight, I didn't play the PS2 version. I played the PC version. And I believe, Josh, you also played the PC version. I did. It is now the best version by quite some distance. Adam Carroll, you played the PlayStation 2 version. Correct. <laughs> As we said, there are some differences. And I'm sure Adam will will mention some of those as we go on. But yes, the PS2 and the GameCube port of the PC and Xbox One was handled by a different developer. It was handled by Ubisoft Shanghai rather than Ubisoft Montreal. So differences include, but not limited to, some levels in the port are slightly redesigned. For example, the climbing sequence that's at the beginning of the final mission, the Presidential Palace, that's not in the port, I believe. I think I saw that. Uh, There are some story differences as well. Uh, Adam, you mentioned that, you know, there was like one of the selling points was a half an hour of new cutscenes or whatever. So, Mm. yeah, they they really kind of added a bit for those babies who played Metal Gear Solid. (laughs) They needed story. (laughs) The PS2 and the GameCube port was slightly less difficult. Uh, the visuals were also a bit less because of the power of the machines. And I believe what I've read online in a way was that there was a slightly redesigned HUD as well. So a few differences, certainly, but, you know, we're not talking two entirely different games here. Mm-hmm. So for those of you that didn't play along at home, let me give you just a little bit on what this actually, you know, what this game was. So Splinter Cell is a third person stealth action game where you play as Sam Fisher, a special agent for a division of the NSA called Third Echelon. And in the game's missions, 10, I think, in the original game, and 13, isn't it, on the PS2 and GameCube port. Um, Either way, your primary objective is often either find a piece of intel by hacking a computer terminal or kill a terrorist. 
while some missions allow you to be more action focused with some missions encouraging it the game often suggests slash requires you to take a stealthy approach and typically this involves using the sneaky spy gadgets you have at your disposal which we'll talk about shortly Uh, however the main key to success in Splinter Cell is just stay quiet and in the shadows rather than be loud and in the light and that's pretty much it so what we do at this point in the show is we tell you what we thought of Splinter Cell, which is quite handy. Uh, yeah. We're going to tell you what we thought of the stealth. We're going to tell you what we thought of the boom boom, which is, you know, the more explosive and just generally more other gameplay bits of, of the game. We're going to tell you about the most noteworthy mission that stood out to each of us. We're going to tell you what we thought of the story. And then we're just going to tell you if we have any other things that we weren't able to fit in elsewhere. We're going to talk about them at the very end in our little miscellaneous section. So firstly, let's talk about the stealth. It's something we've mentioned throughout and it's the first thing I wanted to bring up. It's Splinter Cell's number one feature and as I said earlier, one that sees it have, at least with this aspect, more in common with Thief than with Metal Gear Solid. It's its use of shadow, of light and of dark. So in the bottom right-hand corner of your HUD, you have a bar with a little indicator on that bar. If the indicator is all the way to the left, then Sam Fisher is in complete darkness. And if the indicator is all the way to the right, then Sam Fisher is in complete 100% light. Uh, As you're moving through a level, going through different environments, that indicator is sliding back and forth on the bar. Uh, It can even, you know, I mean, not even just through a level. In a few steps, if you're going from an area where it's pitch black and then walk underneath a street lamp, you'll see it kind of jump up and down. It is fantastic 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 i'm sorry it was was taking a long time to get there it's fantastic because in splinter cell like you can't see vision cones like in monaco or you don't have magical ears like joel in the last of us all you have is your brightness meter so at all times you must make sure you're glancing over at that to make sure that you are in fact hidden Guards have eyes and they'll spot you within a certain distance, although their peripheral vision is a little ropey at the best of times. To avoid even giving them the opportunity to spot you, you just have to ensure you are in a, as dark an area as possible. Genuinely, it is magic. Yeah. I feel like I mention this a lot on, on this podcast, but tension is, is so important to a, oh, a, a stealth yeah. slash stealthy video game. Every time you enter a room with enemies present, the nerves are real. Mm. Yeah. I, I say that in the the highest compliment. Mm. Like, because you can be crouched down back against a corridor wall and a guard will walk straight past you if you are 100% hidden in the shadows. Mm-hmm. And then, you know, you can stalk your enemies like you're Batman or something <laughs> and, and like grab a hold of them and knock them out as long as you stay relatively quiet and, of course, again, remain in the dark. And like, I was definitely wrestling with it a little bit in the first level. And there's a little bit of unsuredness when the meter is, say, near the far left, but not fully, Mm. you know, at the left. And I think it's something you wanted to mention, Adam. But like, you know, it it can sometimes result in you being seen and sometimes not. It's sometimes unreliable. But like, by the second level, I was basically picking up what Yubi were putting down in terms Hmm. of understanding this meter. Like, you know, getting behind cover is fine and a totally legitimate tactic, but using the darkness is how you progress from A to B because you're you're not going to have waist-high walls along a a corridor in a 
in a presidential palace or whatever. So like, I, I, I'll talk about how you can actually create darkness in a second. But yeah, I, I know you also want to talk about it, as I said, Adam, and, and like the, the brightness meter and all that. Oh yeah, I just want to say like that, that, that I completely agree. The lighting in this game, it, it still holds up. It, it is incredible tension all the time, I feel. Um, it kind of blows my mind that no one ever notices the three dots floating around in the darkness. But anyway, that's just that. <laughs> However, I had a major, I've had a, an, a, an adventure with this game in general because I'm on P. I played the PS2 version because I had it, obviously. And the thing was, it, like, look, given that TVs are TVs today, you know, I have an OLED TV and on my PS2. So I had my little adapter, this Weblink adapter box. And I was like, all right, let's set this up now. This is just all great and happy days. Look forward to playing Spinter Cell. Jumped in, did the training, whatever, grand. And then the police station level starts, which is basically the first real kind of mission. Now, I'll go on about that level later on. But if anyone has played this game, and you lads especially, do you know at the start of the game, you start and you're you're in darkness, but you can see this, this, this guy walking back and forth on a balcony, okay? So I was like, grand, looking at it. And I was like, Jesus, it it fucking it's 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 dark, all right, no? Do you know? So I was like, I really and truly know at this point. I was like, I can only see that man walking back and forth and nothing else. And I was like, is this? Is this? So I was like, what the night vision? Bang! Trying the night vision goggles. Ah, a bit impressive. But the thing about the night vision goggles, we'll talk about that later on as well. It, it does do this weird kind of static blur effect that goes on. So you're kind of still not a bit. It's not the clearest of things either, but I was just a bit like, that's an improvement. And I went, oh, there's stairs over there to the right. So off I go and I did that. But as I was progressing through the level, I just felt that this game was insanely dark. So I upped my brightness on my TV and the sharpness to full. Played on, died a few times, but then I got through the police station mission. But I was kind of like, something's going wrong here. Looked online, turns out that this adapter that I was using was causing awful commotion with the the OLED TV so I went back to a very old TV put in the PS2 as normal and there we had it a better picture I could see where I was going so I did the entire first level in the worst way possible (laughs) anyway got to the old TV all was good happy days but I just want to say you you did mention it the visibility bar and all that as well Colm for the most part, I think it's 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 quite unreliable. I think when the when the when the bar is at at like pure like you cannot be seen, it is at the lowest level. That to me is where I'm like, cool. As soon as it starts rising, I feel all bets are off. Like I I do think it could get a third of the way, and you can be seen. Like which is which is kind of annoying because like obviously it, it goes like, it's very dark in the bar to complete brightness and. Clearly, you don't want to be up to the, the full max brightness. But I just thought that, like, there were so many moments where I was seen and I was kind of like, ah, oh, this. And it was totally from me kind of going, yeah, I can see the bar rays are small, but when I'm going through this area, but, bam, caught, you hear the thong. Uh, that would just happen. And I was always like, what's going on? It's not something to rely on. It's it's so it's a part which is so unusual for for like a game that is so strict on the whole stealth side. The 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 bar is one of the weakest parts of the whole thing, personally for me. Hmm. 
it is it is as I say, it is just very very like unforgiving in in parts i myself didn't run into as many issues as you when it comes to the that brightness meter i i do I do think, yeah, it's not perfect. Mm. But to kind of get around that where, say, you're going like, oh, well, I'm kind of in the brightness here. What do I do? The game does, and, you know, I'm just using this as a way to link my next point. It's not always applicable. But you can create darkness where there previously wasn't any darkness. And this today still feels incredible. And it's like it was referenced by one of the developers in a clip we played earlier. You can shoot out lights in Splinter Cell. And it's, it's another thing, actually, that makes... Th- well, that one makes sense in this world and also that connects us to Thief, where you can extinguish torches in, in Thief. But yeah, in Splinter Cell, you can shoot out lights and then you can use the now pitch blackness in that area to make your way from A to B because, you know, of course you can. It's great. <laughs> and like, I, I do want to add that as well as hiding yourself in, in the dark, hiding bodies in the dark is also pivotal. Like you can't dump bodies into lockers or dumpsters. Again, you know, Metal Gear Solid. In Splinter Cell, what you do is, and, and this is another thing again that I had to kind of get used to. Like, I get, you know, but by the second level, I was like, all right, okay, I get it. But I was definitely confused at first being more of a Metal Gear Solid player growing up. But it goes back to understanding that the shadows being like shadows equals 100% hidden. So when you knock or uh, knock out a guard or kill a guard, you have to hide their bodies in the darkest part of the area where you kill them. It's very, very important because if you leave them out in the open, it may trigger an alarm later in the level. And I learned that the hard way, but I, I want to talk about that more in depth in a minute. But anyway. Light and dark system, proper clap at the screen like a lunatic stuff. The only thing I'd add is that people really need better light bulbs. <laughs> Somebody will have a light bulb in one room and it won't be lighting up all corners. Like, it's get it sorted, lads. Yeah. What are these absolute dog shit light bulbs you have? I, I, I will echo those sentiments wholeheartedly. I, um, it also has a kind of line of sight. Uh, for a really organic one, there's like the button where you can sort of press and snap into against walls for you know for cover and stuff like that. But it's really not. You, you can kind of sense that it's not really about that. It just sort of includes it as a secondary thing. And I sort of feel like it's really sort of only uh, Splinter Cell and Thief that that, that kind of do that in a, in as big a way. The only thing, the only other thing I can think of is maybe Outlast, which is then more about oh, you have to look through the camera to actually see night vision goggles in a sense. Yeah, yeah, right, yeah, yeah exactly. And for me, one of the things I love about uh, the, the sort of shadow in Splinter Cell, and it's sort of similar to the Arkham games, maybe where. There's just this amazing comfort when you put the goggles on because it's and it's a lovely inversion of like the of like a horror movie, I guess, you know, shadows equals safe because you are the thing in the shadows. But like I always remember that that the little noise that happens when he puts the goggles on, that noise just sort of signifies like, oh, thank God, like just. I can see everything crystal clear and no one else can. It's like that. It's almost like the shield recharge noise in like Halo when his shield comes. But like, it's just like, oh, oh, thank goodness. Um, 
And like, I, I, I sort of think like maybe the detective vision in Batman is a little bit like that. Mm-hmm. But I tend to play like most of, of Splinter Cell with the, with the, with the lovely goggle vision. But yeah, nothing, no other games kind of make, make, make me sort of feel that way. I think it ties into the tension that you, that you were talking about. Just that, that real slow, methodical, cover yourself in darkness and move through like a sort of creature of the night it's just such a weird blend of stuff but yeah still holds up like gangbusters wonderful today and yes still graphically impressive today as well actually that's yeah i'm glad you said that i i wanted um because i forgot to mention this it looks incredible like yes some of the (laughs) objects and the environments are a bit boxy and you know, you can't see beads of sweat on Sam's face while he's hidden in the corner <laughs> or whatever. But that yeah. matters very little because of how how much the lighting elevates this game. In fact, I'm kind of reminded a bit of our episode on Basingstoke and how much we spoke about how the lighting elevated that game as well. It's the exact same here. You know, like mm. Sam is in a dimly lit room and you see these blades of light coming through half shut blinds or or there's a part in the game where you're sort of crawling through the inside space of a wall and you can see light piercing through bullet holes in the plasterboard and like it it just looks outstanding Mm. Uh, another aspect obviously as well as light and dark is sound and a bit more kind of subtle in how the game communicates this like you don't have a sound bar uh, or you know you don't have a visual aid of the the Mm. brightness meter uh, maybe something that indicated how much sound you're making would have been nice, but you know, it's not in the game. So I can't talk about it, I guess. But I, I will say <laughs> most of the time, it's not really a problem. It, it's pretty clear from the training mission where they teach you about like your speed and the terrain you're walking on factors yeah. into your loudness, like walking on wood or metal be louder than walking on a carpet, for instance. And, you know, crouching and moving slowly is better than jogging and whatever. Like, you know, it, it's all very, very standard uh, stuff. But mm. Splinter Cell is very much a game of patience. Like, your goal is always to start in one place, get to another, but it's very rarely to do it in a set amount of time. Like, off mm-hmm. the top of my head, I think, I think there are two instances where the game gets you to, like, like in very, very small sections, maybe two or three, where in larger levels, where it's like, oh, you need to do this thing within it's a, a time, time element. To, yeah, 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 yeah. Rest of the time, it's it's like you know, in your own time, Sam. And like, I I just appreciate this those tiny differences in what you're walking on in the the surface that you're walking on. I appreciate that it matters. Like uh, uh, talking about you know previous episodes, I'm reminded of an issue you brought up. I think it was you, Adam about Remothered, where you thought walking on the carpet would mean quieter footsteps. And it didn't in that game. And it does in Splinter Cell. (laughs) Yeah. One thing I I did want to bring up about Splinter Cell was how you can use sound as a diversion as well. And I'm not even talking about the items in the game specifically for distracting guards. Mm. Very quickly, in the world of Splinter Cell, everybody bloody loves (laughs) (laughs) Coca-Cola. Everyone. Like, it's obviously not Coke, you know, but there are red... 330 mil cans dotted about <laughs> everywhere. Oh, Tables, Christ. desks, chairs, f- the ground, <laughs> everywhere. Coca-Cola making an absolute killing. Fr- mm. Like, it's it's in Langley. It's in the Chinese embassy. It's on an oil rig. It's just, 
<laughs> Coca-Cola. Yeah. Enjoy. Always Coca-Cola. Always the real thing. Yeah. <laughs> you can pick these up and fire them in a direction, like, you know, Joel would with a bottle and last of us or whatever. Uh, and then the guard will investigate if they're within earshot. And, you know, it, it, it's fine. Yeah, something tried and tested by 2023. Grand. But the one thing I wanted to highlight was when you use Sam himself as a sort of sound distractional tool. And it's a, it's a tactic that I, I think I kind of locked into early on, but then I used it throughout loads. Like, often I would be hiding behind a wall and then I would just jump. Just simply stand up, jump, and you'd hear, tong, tong. And the nearby guard would leave their post and then I'd be like, nice one. I can get around you that way. And, you know, you, you can obviously do similar by running for a little bit, getting their attention that way. But the simple hop just warmed my heart so much. It was so effective as well. That's good. I don't think I've ever done that. Like that's like a brand new thing to me. That's really good. I, I really, I really enjoyed it. But something that we've mentioned throughout, and we, we we still will many many times, is the sort of the realism that Splinter Cell strives for. But there is also, you know, a large element of silliness too, I suppose. And it's something you wanted to talk about, Josh, and I guess the the gadgets as well. Yeah, in terms of the atmosphere and the and the lovely tech that goes into it, and just you know the efforts of Ubisoft to make to kind of make this a faithful, quote unquote, realistic thing. It some of those comparisons to Metal Gear Solid Two are a little bit silly because there is a, a nice workable streak of like unrealistic stuff in Splinter Cell, and it kind of needs to be unrealistic uh, in order to sort of work. So, for example, um, in the same way that like you know the fellow was talking about in MGS Two, you sort of pick up a soldier and drop him, and a little item falls out, and it's like silly and video gamey. Well, there's plenty of that in Splinter Cell. It just it just doesn't look that way. So, for example. Um, Sam has a little uh, LED light on the on his back, and there's no reason for that LED light to be there in the fiction of the game. Uh, in fact, it would be uh, a hindrance to him because it's a bright LED light, but it's there for the player, which is why it's on his back. And as well as the light meter at the bottom, you also have the LED light on Sam's back, and if that light is lit up, he's perfectly hidden. So it actually has two light indicators, okay. um, which is kind of an interesting thing because like, some games did that. Like The one that was kind of famous for it is like The Getaway, where it's like, there's no health bar, but the protagonist just has loads of blood on his jumper. When yeah, he, yeah. And if you lean against the wall to recharge, the blood actually disappears. It's like, and people out of pop pop at that because they're like, oh, it's so pretentious. It wants to pretend it's not a video game. And, you know, fine, whatever. But actually what it is, is just, I think, a kind of cool in-universe way of doing those things. And like you sort of said earlier, Adam, you know, it's kind of funny. These enemies never see those three glowing green goggles in the dark. But... <laughs> But that that's sort of fine because it's like I don't mind a little bit of bullshit, uh, a little bit of video game silliness. Oh, absolutely. Um, as long as it's consistent silliness, as long as it's yes, I understand that rule. Like with Cullen, with the with the jumping up and down on the spot, which is brilliant, and I never knew that, and I'll, I may well use that in future playthroughs. It's obviously silly, and the and the and you know to see Sam Fisher doing that would be hilarious, Um, but it makes game sense. It works. So it's funny. It's got this reputation for, you know, for real, it's got the Tom Clancy name and it's really, it's really sort of tactical and mad, but it's core. It's, it's a really readable 
and sort of despite all the complications of its HUD and its mechanics, it makes an implicit kind of just sense. There's so there there aren't many video games where it's almost like I can just I can feel my way through them. It's just implicit. The rules just sort of drill themselves into your head so naturally. You you just kind of can feel out what works. I love that thing that you discovered just jumping by accident, and then it actually became like one of your tactics. Mm-hmm. I I sort of have this. It's a, it's a sort of similar thing with um uh the I think it was was it. Can you also pick up like glass bottles and things like that? I think yeah, I, yeah, was yeah. it like yeah. bricks or something like that? And I I just I just sort of remember there was like a little bit in uh one of the levels um where you're outside the police station in Georgia and it, and it's like a completely daft little moment that wouldn't work in real life cuz Sam's like you know two centimeters away from this man's eyeballs but because the meter is all the way down the fella just can't see sam and i remember just like picking up a glass bottle and just lobbing it down the alleyway and the guy's like what was that and he just like walked <laughs> walks like seven meters down the other way it makes absolutely no sense at all but just yeah just works and such a comfort in like this is gonna work every time you know i hate games that have that sort of element of chaos and randomness to them where it's just like we'll give you the rules but sometimes stuff's just going to go mental and you're not going to really be able to tell why you fucked up on that one it's like splinter cell never ever does that for me it's just yeah as long as you're patient and you you know observe stuff um it never really sort of behaves how in a way you don't expect the other thing i just wanted to touch on was um the gadgets which are very, 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 very cool. Very sexy gadgets. I'm a big fan of the gadgets <laughs> in Splinter Cell. Um, the the optic cable is genius. And oh is, yes, it's just yeah, one it's of amazing. gaming's best gadgets. I think it's so so good. Um, actually useful. I mean, the the thing I wrote down here. I mean, I love Metal Gear. So yeah, Metal Gear fans don't come out the woodwork and have a pop. I do love Metal Gear. Um, but there are like lots of things in Metal Gear that I just don't really use. Like I think the anti-personnel sensor, the the parabolic microphone, the metal detector. There's like just quite a lot of stuff that's in Metal Gear. And like, you know, you can use them, but I just sort of never do. Splinter Cell does a really, really good job where it's like sort of every one of the gadgets comes into its own. Um, sticky shockers, sticky cameras, the optic cable, there's such like you really kind of want to use that when you get to a door because you're genuinely afraid of what might be on. It really kind of reinforces that rule in you of like just to quickly jump in there on the optic cable thing as well. It also lets you um kind of open a door like slightly and I'm I'm in my head going, why would I ever do this? When I have the optic cable. <laughs> what you're referring to is the in the game it's referred to as the door peak, and it's literally mm-hmm. you hold a door slightly ajar, and it is dog shit. It is, <laughs> it is terrible, rubbish. You see like, nothing why would you of use what's it? in the next room. Whereas optic cable, 
all the way. Slide a little fisheye yeah. lens underneath the door oh. and you can kind of swivel it left and right. And yeah, yeah that's a real winner. It's, yeah, uh, for sure. Uh, yeah, you're right, actually. Uh, is but The peak is a completely superfluous mechanic. Never use it. Um, but I do use all the gadgets. The sticky cameras are great. The vision modes are great. And they're they're sort of more than just gimmickry. The, just the night vision goggles. It, it's probably difficult to um, to sort of assess now because especially after like batman arkham asylum but like what is called detective vision now and is just ubiquitous in all video games basically like it i think it it, you know if it didn't start in splinter cell it it was proliferated in a big way by splinter cell the the night vision goggles they may seem kind of boring or, or or staid now but as a as a gadget and an instantly I mean it's funny that you know one of the developers talking about we want this guy to be recognizable by his silhouette just like Batman is well the night vision goggles are a big part of that for me I think the goggles are still incredible like I thought knocking out a light and then having somebody have an enemy attracted to walking and you just meet behind the goggles I thought it felt incredibly cool mm. like it's, it was always satisfying to do that thing like non-stop I, I prefer that then a click of uh, a button in next minute, you just got this vision. I, yeah. I just, it's just not as satisfying. The goggle thing was just, it, it's really cool. But yeah, how did you get, I mean, and also the gadgets are just, uh, again, sounds silly. I think chimes with what the developers are saying. I don't know because I'm not in the Navy SEALs, but all the <laughs> gadgets feel very believable, it, which is another way of saying they're not fancy. They're not that romantic. They wouldn't pass muster in a James Bond movie. But there, there's a sort of grim believability to the to the hardware where you just think, yeah, this is absolutely what. I, well, it's just fiber optic cable. Like obviously, someone's got this, and that, that's kind of important too for me. I think, I think in mo- in most cases, like I'll talk about my favorite gadget in a second, which I think is like maybe what one of the more fantastical ones. <laughs> I might agree on that. Yeah, the laser mic. <laughs> which is, you know, a directional microphone, which uh, I was a bit disappointed I couldn't use it in general pay, play. Yeah, for sure. You know, for, yeah. for exa- again, to compare it to Metal Gear Solid, it's like Metal Gear Solid has one, you can use that all the time. Yeah. Uh, like, you have a lock-picking minigame, which is, you know, it's no Deus Ex the Fall lock-picking uh, minigame, <laughs> but, like, you know, jostle a lock-pick up and down. You've seen it numerous times before. My favourite of Fisher's specifically sneaky spy gadgets hands Mm -hmm. down is the diversion camera it is a beauty what a brilliant brilliant gadget that is basically you fire from your gun you fire this camera at a wall generally speaking you you can stick it on the ground but you know you fire it at a wall sticks to the wall then you can have it make bird chirping noises which will get the attention of a nearby guard and then you release some knockout gas and the fucker drops like a sack of spuds. It's my record was three enemies and that was a very good day. <laughs> yeah. Love it. Didn't you also text those of the group saying that you'd knocked too many people out in one mission and discovered that you'd failed them? Well, <laughs> failed them. You know what? Let, yeah, let's 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 talk about that now then because this kind of goes back to something that you mentioned a minute ago. So I've said a lot of good things about Splinter Cell. So let me hit you with something that was annoying and annoying from beginning to end as well. This game has a lot of trial and error design. And I'm talking like unavoidable trial and error here. 
in a game, if we haven't mentioned already, you know, it's very, very challenging. And I'm just happy I played it on PC where I had the quick save option and I could just save scum the shit out of it. But even with that, there are just points in this game where things feel inconsistent. And I understand, again, they're going for this real world gritty where anything can happen and Sam is this crack special agent and et cetera, et cetera. But I'll give you an example, right? Guards might just be scripted to turn a light on in a room, which you can't avoid. That happens, I think, in Kalinatech. Oh, yes. Uh, or, you know, some enemy might be scripted to just walk into an area where you are. And again, like, it, it cannot be avoided. There's no, there's no other way kind of around it. Like, it yeah. just, there are times when the game allows you to to figure out your way to progress through a mission. And then there are times where the game says, no, 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 do it our way. Do it, do it, yeah. do it the way. And it can definitely great. Like it is a linear game. It is very much a linear game. But I just, I still maintain there's some flexibility in some missions. For, 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 for sure. And actually, I think you're, no, you're right. Because, and one of the other things that you, I don't mind it when games do what you're describing, but I think it's important that they make that bloody well clear. And sometimes I think in Splinter Cell, maybe perhaps it's not made. So definitely not clear. No, like like because like what what you mentioned uh, a minute ago, uh, and I th- I think I text the group this. I said earlier that I learned the hard way about hiding bodies in the yes. shadows. Right, uh, some levels in Splinter Cell require you to keep alarms to a minimum, even if you've offed all the guards in an area. Mm. Like what this means is, yeah, if you kill all the guards, you have to make sure that you hide them in darker parts of that section. Otherwise, the game will notify you that a body has been found. Mm. The thing is, right, this happens off screen. Like you, if you kill all the guards in an area and you go, oh, all right, well, look, I'm fine. Like nobody's going to. Nobody's going to come here. Nobody's scripted to come here, so I'm fine. The game mm. will just kind of see what seems like at a random or a, like a, at a further point in the level, an alarm will go off. Lambert will tell you again, oh, God, that's another alarm. You can't, you've stopped doing that. Mm. I just, uh, I don't know. I like at the beginning of some levels, I do remember Lambert saying things like, make sure you don't kill anyone in this level. And I'm yeah. like, all right, cool. No killing. I'll just knock people out instead. But then I, I might knock people out on this level and then Lambert says, no, nah, what are you doing? What are you asking? You can't be doing that. And it's just, I I wish it was clearer in those levels. Yeah, for sure. For, from my memory, I don't know if it's, um, whenever he says don't kill anyone, that's that's fine. With the knocking out, I I. I don't know if it, it may well just be that the bodies are getting discovered or was it, was it happening to you that it was like, no matter what you'd, how well you hit them, I'm they would not always. sure to be honest. Right. I... Okay. Okay. All right. All right. Fair enough. Fair enough. Cause I don't think there's a, I think the only distinction in Spinet so is you either have fifth freedom authorization or you do not. And if you do not, I think you, I believe you can uh, knock them out, but then we're into a thing where it's like, don't know about hiding them though, because 
sometimes they will find them depending on where you do. So it's, mm-hmm. it's tough to tell, but I, de- I definitely hear you that they could do a better job of making that bloody well clear. You think, Josh, they couldn't do a better job of Sam's movement. Is that right? Is that fair? Well, 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 <laughs> there is one, I have one uh, caveat uh, with Splinter Cell 1 and they do sort of improve it in the second game and the third game. But yeah, there's... um. I really, really love uh, the movement in Splinter Cell. And one of the things that's really, really good about it, uh, in fact, maybe even does a slightly better job than Metal Gear in this particular way. The way that Sam's movement is conveyed... Sam, remember, by the way, this is like a delightful touch of like outrageous uh, silliness. In the first game, Sam, I think in the fiction, is meant to be 45 years old. (laughs) So, like, we should say it is funny they're talking about all this realism. And it's like, I don't care if Sam's an ex-Navy SEAL. In this mission, they would absolutely employ a younger man. Like, but who am I to say that? Who knows what goes on behind bloody closed doors? Um, But he has got a really, really nice weight and sort of like heft to the way that he moves and all of his movements you can believe even the really outrageous ones like but they are even though he's doing some really bonkers shit it's you really do believe it and the way that the animations for the movements uh sort of carry it over you sort of think yeah i can i can see this happening one of the things i really like about it which i can see a lot of people hating is in uh, tbilisi in in georgia there's a lot of shimmying that (laughs) that goes on in those levels where sam will hold on to a you know a high thing by his fingertips and we'll 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 shimmy across us and i love the just just how painfully slow that is and how we're used to in video games like you know lara croft just shimmying across a wall like a bloody squirrel um just how like slow and weighty it is when sam does it you really have to wait for him to move one hand over the other and you just get that sense of like cut column you were sort of saying earlier it's the patience and it's the reward for the patience that you get i think is the I, th- I think is the kind of best thing about it. It's it's like weight, but it's also sort of, I need to take my time. Uh, and this guy will do some amazing things, but I need to sort of bear with him because he is 45. <laughs> he is a bit awkward sometimes though, isn't he? There are definitely moments when the game punishes the slightest of him precise uh positioning mm. like you know ho- hopping on a zip line or getting on a ladder can just be a little bit awkward he's a tad stiff is sam it's mm. like general <laughs> movement is fine and i definitely do appreciate that you know the shimmying that you mentioned and like how agile he can be for a 45 year old man it's all generally <laughs> good stuff but like i don't know about either you two lads i never ever found a use for Sam's more uh, athletic moves. The real splinter cell ass moves. <laughs> the, the, you mentioned it, Josh. The split jump, yeah. for example, it's something you learn in, as far as I can remember, that first level. The training. Is that the training, is it? Yeah, yeah, training. You get taught to it sort of way. You're in a corridor. The game nudges you. It tells you, jump off one wall, then off the other. And before you know it, your JCVD doing splits against two walls. Yeah. Along with the goggles, it's a real splinter cell moment. You know, it's like, oh, like oh the, yeah, yeah. these yeah. are splinter cell. 
I'm pretty sure I never did it again. Well, that's the that's the problem with uh, with the, with Splinter Cell One, and I think because they really take that to heart, like that was something that people said as well. Because it was really funny, like in the screenshots. And you're totally right. Like it was a real vibe of like you think of Splinter Cell, you definitely think of Sam doing the split jump. <laughs> Sam doing the split jump. There is one opportunity in the police station where you're in the cell the corridor with the cells and i remember uh when i played it this it 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 was one of the rare moments in that game where i thought how the hell do i get past this bit because it's a very narrow that's what i'm thinking of that's why i thought that's what i was thinking of yeah yeah i did i did it there so so yes i apologize i did do it twice then a light bulb moment but you're totally right it is one of those real where it's almost you can see the developers going oh this is so fucking cool look at this but maybe they needed to have a few more meetings with the level designers or something to kind of go put that so you have to do it a good because in even in pandora tomorrow you use it way more like they got that memo for the second game on was like yeah give people a chance to actually use the split jump (laughs) yeah like i think it's absolutely superb as well like but there was um like you know because as you said you're you're reading the area you're kind of i could probably do it here but do I want to do it here and risk everything? I don't know. <laughs> but I was like, I'm, I'm trying it. I'm trying it. And I remember I was watching this one enemy kind of walk, he, he kind of walked back and then he walked towards me. And as he was walking back, I was like, all right, I'm going to go up now and do this. And I did it. And I was like, brilliant. And your man just walked away. He just like kept walking on his direction. So I was, and he didn't come back for like a few seconds. So I was so just standing just there kind of going, there. <laughs> I was like, this is, like this is not fun now like the, the tension is completely gone it, it's actually quite amazing that they don't throw in a stamina meter I know Sam could just do that at 45 years young he can actually just do that forever well look the man must have the best knees and thighs in the business yeah. anyway, he's forever crouched walking around the place so he must be just incredible but I will say that like to what you were saying Josh there is lovely weight to the movement of Sam I think when you're walking around it, it, it feels mm. it feels weighty but doing anything outside of walking or anything like that it it just feels messy it feels very floaty like grabbing a ladder like it, it, it feels like the moment sam jumps into the air he forgets everything that he's ever learned in his <laughs> that life that is so true yeah when he's when he jumps and you, you're just like oh like you've come on <laughs> stuck from gravity <laughs> it's a weird fumble and it makes him look hilarious like when you go for the like I've got a fucking nailless wall jump don't get this when you go bang it on the fuck <laughs> did you know what the, the wall jump is and not, not talking about the split jump in Splinter Cell you can jump off one wall and grab a ledge on another and God, is it awkward. It's very awkward. It's weird. And once you understand the rule of how to get it every time, it's sort of like, wait, what? It's like a really weird, poorly communicated video game thing. The first few times I played Spinner Cell, I never really understood the wall jump. It, it's kind of, Weirdly, it comes in handy more than the split jump. There are like railings and stuff you can reach. I mean, there are points where you have to use, like uh, the approach into the, the presidential palace. Like there, there's, there's a part where you have to use it. There. You have to do it, yeah. And they don't really come, even in the training uh, thing, they don't really communicate fantastically well how you actually pull the wall jump off because we're on the topic of movement and all that i did want to just um slide this one in quickly and that's Mm -hmm. controlling the speed of sam on pc is mad he controls like a car 
<laughs> he controls like a car go moving through the gears. What? What's he do? So come with me on this journey, lads. So <laughs> you use the mouse scroll wheel to control his speed. What? You move it up, he goes faster. You move it down, he goes slower. When, when, but when you start moving, can you just like spin the wheel up max straight like and he'll just go oh, at yeah, speed yeah 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 no like like it, this isn't a criticism it is just an observation like it it did it did fuck me over a few times <laughs> in the beginning because I kind of had to remember to treat him like a Ford Focus but like yes. once I learned w- what it was I was like it was fine it's literally like yeah gearing up and gearing down because basically if you if you move somewhere and you stay in fifth and you stop and you're in cover the next time you move, you're still in fifth gear and you are legging it. <laughs> That's hilarious. Even though you may not mean to. That's funny. I, I, so I should say, just for the sake of this, I did play it on PC, but I played it on uh, Steam Deck and one of the absolutely bonkers Splinter Cell nut jobs in the community had put together a beautiful, uh, I think probably for the Steam controller, actually. But they'd done this layout where it must have done the gear changes you're talking about, but this fella had gone so in-depth on the Steam Deck that, like, every gradient... He'd basically mapped it to the analogue stick perfectly so that each little extra tilt must have taken me through those gears or something like that. So I did not notice that, but yeah, that's funny. Yeah, that is what we thought of the stealth of Splinter Cell, and it is fair to say... It's the majority of the game, in fairness. So we are going to take a quick little break and then we will be back to talk about, yes, the Boom Boom and the missions that stood out to each of us. So we'll be back right after this. All right, then, let us chat some Boom Boom. Basically, yeah, the more explosive parts of Splinter Cell and also, you know, any other gameplay bits as well. Adam Carroll, I know you wanted to start us off by talking about the shooting of Splinter Cell. I think it's an unfair comparison to say this, but I think it's coming off the back of Deus Ex The Fall that, like, <laughs> I noticed how how much better the, the weight of the shooting is in this. Come on. <laughs> I know, but, like, come on. Ben Saxon's got that robot arm. He could probably take Sam on, to probably be fair. Probably could, yeah. A 45, the geriatric a, a, a action hero. <laughs> no, but I do th- I do think it's like, it's it's still very satisfying. I don't think it feels mm-hmm. like mm-hmm. messy or out of place at all. I think it's, it, it's quite accurate and stuff. And I just mm. thoroughly enjoy a pistol with a silencer. I think it's incredibly satisfying. I was just going to say that. How good is it? Because oh. also, it's a weird thing that games like often don't get quite right. And I know it sounds kind of weird and fetishistic and sort of, I promise I'm not like a gun <laughs> nut or something. But... Um, there is a certain joy in video games to when they get the sound of a suppressed gun perfectly. You get yeah. that little, like that lovely little, oh man, that bullet did something. It just feels satisfying and, you know, like the taking out of all the lights with weapons and stuff. It, it, it just all feels really good. And yeah, so that's all I really say to it. I just think it just, it just does work well. I mostly agree. Like it, it definitely feels dated. It feels slightly dated in that you have to take out the gun and then the gun is out, and then you aim with the gun, and then you shoot the gun, and then you put the gun back. It's not kind of, you know, this fluid motion where the gun is always on you, and you're like, uh, left trigger, aim down sights, like, shoot the gun. It, it's a bit more, um, it's slightly more cumbersome, cumbersome like his movement. I think that's a love or hate kind of thing, though. I feel 
it's definitely part of the realism um, that they're trying to go for. I do agree and uh, with what you said, and there is an element of clunk to it. However, let me just say that there is a certain loveliness to when games are super not about context sensitivity. And I do love when you've got these, like, kind of intricate control schemes where it's like, it may seem a little bit weird and kind of cluttered, I guess. Metal Gear is sort of partially guilty of this as well. But there is a nice thing of like, it won't do, if you know the controls inside out, th- there will be few accidents. It will never do what you don't want it to do because there are so many bloody options. And I appreciate that can be confusing, um, you know, to, to people who are used to stuff that's more fast and more fluent. But there is this like methodical sort of like satisfaction in just like everything I have to do has like multiple control inputs and even like getting the gadgets out to, to put them under a door. It's like scrolling to the little gadget in the menu, pressing the button to get the gadget out, but then using the shoot button to actually use the gadget in, in the world to put the, it's all very, it's easy to get bogged down in that stuff, but I do also weirdly appreciate it. Seeing as we're talking about guns, I want to talk about the SC20K. <laughs> it is an absolute joy. So this shows up in what is maybe the most difficult mission in the game, and one we'll talk about in a minute, so I don't need to go into it here. But up until this point, about halfway through, you just have your silence pistol. And then during this mission, you get, yes, the SC-20K. Now, this thing is so silly. It's so great. It is a gun that can do fucking everything. It it is a... (laughs) It can kill. It's a propulsion device for small little gadgets. Like, I spoke about the diversion camera. Well, you shoot that from your SC-20K. And, you know, there's also just a sticky camera that you can shoot out of it. And it's exactly what it sounds like. It's a camera that sticks to walls. But in fairness, it is mostly a gun. And a gun that can fire both lethal and non-lethal rounds via... What, two chambers? Who cares? I don't. It's just, it's good crack. Like, it's a sniper rifle. It's an assault rifle. It it's does a mach- it all. It's a machine gun. It's, it can fire little electric shock bullet things. It can fire gas grenades. It gas is grenade, yeah. such a ludicrous video game gun. And again, goes back to that point, Josh, that realism that you mentioned early on, like that realism versus silliness. Like this, like this, this is so silly. Like don't, t- it's, it is bonkers. Yeah. It's, I suppose, do you know what? It's, it's like Tom Clancy realism. It, it, that's it's spot on. Yeah. And it's a good time to point out. Uh, I, uh, I apologize for this, everyone. Cause I, I'm, 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 I'm a terrible loser. I know. But um, so the SC20K, right, is based on a real gun, the uh, FNF2000, which is a bullpup rifle. Are you sure you're not a gun pervert? <laughs> I, now, I know I sound like one of those maniacs, one of those Second Amendment maniacs. No, I promise I'm not. Uh, but Splinter Cell sort of made a dweeb of me uh, for this stuff. And... The SC20K isn't as bonkers as you think it is, and but the, but okay. I won't go. I won't go into the deep. It is still bonkers, and the real life gun does not do those things. By the way, so you're not wrong at all. But it does do that Tom Clancy thing where it's set like a couple years in the future, and they're sort of like we're gonna do some stuff that doesn't exist yet. 
but we sort of think it might exist in a couple mm. of years. It's like grounded science fiction. But it, what you're saying is still right. I am still a dork. It's dweeb bullshit, but it's brilliant. <laughs> I mean, that's that's my takeaway, basically. The uh, C20K, it's, it's, oh, it's just, yeah, it's a delight. It's an absolute delight. And just a small little point I wanted to talk about as well. The wall mines. Uh, like the explosive stuff in general is good crack, like the frag grenades. Given the right situation, you know, I'm thinking the end of the abattoir level, which I'll talk about in a minute. That's definitely a situation for frag grenades. The wall mines are, so, oh, I, I love them. I think they're so good. And like, you know, I, I don't know how to explain. They're wall mines. You put them on a wall, somebody walks close to them, kablamo. Yeah, the blood, <laughs> blood and guts go everywhere. Hilarity ensues. Yeah, yeah. it's proper, um, proper joy there. Something else that's good, boom, boom. Josh, you just wanted to talk a little bit about a mission in the game, the, the oil rig, which is the third or fourth mission. The, so I didn't put this as the mission I wanted to talk about, but I just thought I'd get a little bonus mention of the oil rig in here because it is good boom, boom. Just because you still have to be a bit stealthy, but it's got some, it's got some boom, boom at the beginning. Because you have to do a bit of platforming when you. So the sort of premise of the mission is you're you're at this oil rig and there's a sort of pressured element of timing to it. Um, and some some MIGs come and bomb the oil rig while you're there. So that if that's not boom boom, I don't know what is. You still have to. There's like a little bit of platforming at the beginning, which I actually think's like pretty good. Uh, it kind of sounds pretty nimble. He's not as nimble as like Solid Snake in MGS2, but he 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 gets by. Um, and I just really like that little pressured element of like there's fire and some of the soldiers at the base are, are fighting with enemies as well. And Sam kind of has to sneak through while all this kind of chaos is going on. Plus, it's like daytime or at least I think in the Xbox and PS in PC versions, it's daytime. Weirdly, that level is at nighttime on the PS2. Don't know why. But like <laughs> just the whole mission is boom, boom. Like, it's like, what if, a little bit like the uh, beginning bit of Metal Gear Solid 4, where it's like, what if Solid Snake was in an actual war zone? You know, mm. it's like, can, can stealth work here? And actually, it kind of can. It's a little bit of that with the oil rig. It's sort of like, stuff's falling apart and going to hell in a handbasket, but you still kind of have to sneak through this pretty active, exploding oil rig. I just thought that was pretty sweet. It's good action movie fare. Yes. So yeah, that's what we thought of the Boom Boom. So let us now talk about the missions, the levels that stood out to each of us. Adam, would you like to start us off? The police station is one you wanted to highlight, which is the second level if we're including the training, the first level if we're not. What makes the police station so good is that you go through that training mission, you're kind of shown everything, like, mm. to, to a point. Like, all oh, these cool moves and blah, 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 blah. It's not overly long or anything like that, but you just get shown everything. And then you have your first mission. And I think what's so good about this is that, like, it's obviously not, like, like overly difficult compared to the other ones that are uh, going along. But um, the the training that you get is, isn't repeated in this very first mission. Do you know, like, it could have done that whole thing where, like, you're in a situation now, here's the enemy coming towards yes. you, do your split jump, yeah. do you know? That's all left to you, like, if you want to do that. Um, considering I had to do the level, I actually did the level twice, given the time I did it the first time, and it was all dark. I went back to play it again just to kind of get more of a run through. <laughs> and um, I think it's, it's superbly well balanced. It's it like these levels also like there's there's ferocious link to some of them. Like some of them kind of just go a bit t- 
too well, far. Well, they're so long. Some of them are like an hour and a half. Like, like they're, yeah. they're long, mm. yeah. Mm. And it's kind of like, given the situation of me not being able to use autosave, I, I felt there was just pressure. There was always pressure for each level that started. But... The police is a great atmosphere. It has the right amount of enemies. And, you know, it, it, it really sets up the entire tone of the game very mm. well. There's one area even, like, where um, uh, there's, like, you're coming along. Uh, you're, you can kind of go down this, like, little ramp. But there's these three enemies having a conversation kind of high above. And you can kind of sneak down. And I think that small little moment alone immediately shows the, the amount of tension that's to come throughout the entire game. And... I was sold immediately on it. Now, obviously, I struggled like massively throughout <laughs> this game, but that first level is a great starting point. I agree completely. Yeah, it's one of the better opening levels in games. That I think the the stuff in Georgia is phenomenal. The mission I wanted to talk about was the eighth mission in the game. If we're calling again the training a mission, and it is called Abattoir, and it is for my money the sweet spot of stealth and action in the game. Like, narratively, it's one of the more straightforward, almost self-contained missions as you're going there to stop the assassination and live stream of said assassination of some mm. American soldiers. It ties into the overall plot because it's, it is here where you learn that a man in the Chinese army is working with uh, Georgian President Nicolades rather than the whole country. But like, you know... If an editor was were looking to edit, you could probably cut this out and still get to the same destination. Now, <laughs> I'm glad no one cut this because for my money, yeah, it, it is the best level in the game. It is the perfect encapsulation of Tom Clancy's Splinter Cell. Like, firstly, the stealth aspect up until this point in the game, I'm using my night vision goggles loads. I'm uh, using them from the first yes. level, but I'm not using my thermal goggles all that much. A little bit here and there, but there was definitely a little more dust on them in comparison to my night vision goggles. For sure. Not here. Not here. The thermals are just as valuable in this mission. I suppose in two different points. An earlier area uh, in this level sees you having to switch between both your night vision and your thermal goggles while you're going across this patch of ground out in the darkness, searchlights overhead, and there are mines on the ground. You need the night vision goggles to see where you're walking and you need the thermals to see where the mines are underneath the ground. And there's there's uh, there's a lovely bit where you're on a rooftop disabling a radio antenna. But then once you're inside, you're in this, I don't know, kind of like Rocky style slaughterhouse. There's dead carcasses hanging off the ceiling and just... I actually, there's like cold air fogging up everywhere. It was kind of very silent hilly. Mm. The only way to see what's in front of you, uh, both objects and enemy personnel, is to switch those thermals on. And I, <laughs> I think this is the only area of the game where your night vision goggles are useless and your thermal goggles are king. And yeah. it's a lovely shift, just trying to navigate this area using... Yeah, using the goggles that kind of are, the, you know, a second place, it just makes a lovely mm. change. And, and I, I mean, uh, I said I think it's it's the best example of stealth and action. Well, the action part, you get a bombastic shootout at the end. Or if you've planned well enough and you're able to employ some element of strategy, you've got some wall <laughs> mines of frag grenades on you. Oh, baby. 
Yes. <laughs> oh, brilliant. I think this level is the one that introduces turrets. I could be wrong on that. Uh, it's got the most turrets of any of the missions. Maybe, maybe it's just that it's got the most ones. But it, it's one of the few, few areas, I think, where like you can use turrets to your advantage and just, you know, mm. absolutely annihilate. It, it's similar to what we spoke about in the last episode with Deus Ex, where you can get these towers to to turn on the, the enemies. <laughs> it just captures Splinter Cell beautifully. I mean, it's still tough. And even that searchlight sequence I, I mentioned, if you were to go from A to B, like I said to you, Adam, like all levels are an hour and a half. They're an hour and a half, including all the deaths. Like, because that searchlight sequence I was on that probably for the bones of 20 to 25 minutes. But mm. in reality, if you went from A to B and like Sam Fisher is the best spy in the world, you're probably doing <laughs> it in a minute, maybe. Yeah, but it's yeah, like it's yeah. having yeah. to keep retry or whatever. But I just, I never became frustrated with this level. I love it. Love the abattoir. Thought it was absolutely fantastic. But now, Josh, I want you to talk about a level... That some people love, some people hate. So I chose uh, the CIA HQ, uh, mm. which Adam is not happy about. Um, <laughs> I really, really, really love the HQ uh, for a few reasons. So um, the layout of the level I really like, but I really like the way that it 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 meshes together the story, um, and you get this really, really lovely atmosphere. So you it starts out you've you the reason that you're there. Is that immediately, like after the oil refinery, uh, you find out that one of that there's an information leak and that there's a mole, uh, and they trace the transmission to Langley to the headquarters of the CIA, so that you know that there's a mole in the CIA. Um, one of the things I like about it, and I remember this from when I was when I was younger playing Splinter Cell, was that it kind of drove home where Third Echelon actually is. It's it's I it's the only thing. Well. Uh, include there's Kalina Tech uh, immediately after, and technically the training mission, uh, which is a, in Virginia, I think. Uh, it's one of the only missions that that's actually on U.S. soil. So, it, so it is actually interesting, I think, in that sense, because you sort of think, oh, okay, so the NSA actually outranks the CIA, and then you sort of think, oh, well, okay, now maybe it doesn't, though. Maybe Third Echelon's just so ridiculously secret. It's like you're spying on the spies, and that's just cool as, as a premise. I also love, love, love the intro, um, which weirdly, again, so this would be one, the, like, the it starts out in the rain, uh, and you're outside just at the front, of, of, of the headquarters in Langley and you have to find a way into the building. You don't have to do that on the PS2. That's another one of those weird version differences. Like it cuts out the bit with the rain. You just spawn inside the CIA, which is maybe the worst difference because it's, I think that intro bit, you have to sort of, you find out that you can you can go around to one side and climb a junction box and, and hop up onto the roof and gain entry from above. Um, it's just such a good uh, mixture of, layout which because it's an interesting building there's wide corridors it's very sort of plushly furnished very very as you said earlier Cullum outrageously gloomy I mean unrealistically gloomy energy saving light bulbs in that place uh you know light up about two feet around the around the lampshade but there's this just this you really get the sense in there of just like uh, there's a load of there's a load of nasty work that goes on in this place, and a load of really grim. St- but they get that workaday atmosphere, like it's just like guys in cheap shirts knocking about, just 
you know, talking about... In fact, actually, one of the really nice things about the CIA, it, it like, hints at the abattoir mission. I, you, you could blink and you miss it, but when the CIA bods are decoding one of the transmissions, one of the guys says that he can hear... He swears that he can hear cows in the background, and he, he thought ah. he heard a cow bell. It's just, like, a nice mm. little thing of, like, oh... Well, I'll be going there later. Um, so yeah, it's just the actual mission itself. Um, it is fine. You have to find this mole and 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 confront this mole. Uh, just a lovely bit of spycraft, just working with the fiction of the game. And at that point in the game, it's a lovely little sort of refresh. Like that first run uh, of of let's say sort of the training, the police station. Then the defense ministry that just escalates and comes to a head when you find out what happened to the to the to the agents Blaustein and Madison. Then you've got oil refinery, which is just a complete head fuck of like, whoa, that's nuts! It's like broad daylight and there's MIGs bombing this thing in the Caspian Sea. Then to the CIA headquarters, it's just a perfect bit of pacing and a perfect palette change from what you've had. Like so far in Splinter Cell up to and including the CIA HQ, you've not anywhere near seen the same thing twice. Like every level is sort of so perfectly pitched. And that, to be honest, that kind of goes up to maybe the Chinese embassy because maybe you sort of think, uh, it's kind of similar to the defense ministry a little bit. But up to that point, it's all brand new, exciting shit in that game. And the uh, CIA HQ is where that sort of well, it's the one I chose today anyway. Ask me next week, I'll say something different. <laughs> Adam Carroll, you're a bottle. No, Josh. <laughs> no, because this level, it completely broke me. It, 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 Jesus, I think I saw grey hairs coming into my head and it was stressful and to the point where it was like, when I'm getting to a stage of like, oh, I'm, I'm, do you know what this this kind of no autosave thing, even though there's checkpoints, but there's no autosave. I think I can do this. I can get through this. I am I am becoming Sam Fisher. And when everything <laughs> got taken, as you explain, Colin, like, you know, knocking out people, not trying to understand what's going on, all this kind of stuff, like, why am I getting called out all the time? It's, it's, it's just not what I wanted to do. It's not how I wanted to play. And I understand <laughs> the mission but it's like, why, why, why do this to me? It, it's, I eventually got through it. And it's quite funny how like the next level, you can go absolutely hell for leather. You can just go yeah. mental and do whatever you please. The CIA headquarters level is just, it's too long for what it wants you to do. Mm. And that is where the, the length just falls apart for me. I understand what you're saying. And I think like, do you know, there's, hard hard hardcore stealth heads would just be like no this this is what I wanted I wanted to be like super sneaky <laughs> for me no it's just a bit too far fair play to, uh, I, I don't envy you the autosave now it, it's just huge like I didn't realise how if you're playing Splinter Cell in this day and age and I know the I think the Xbox Series X and S like polish all of the Splinter Cell games up quite nicely but you just would not want to play it without the quick save it just because you're right like these levels are so long and what do they uh, do they like give you I know the PS2 version is like more broken up like they'll break the levels into more chunks but like do you get like mid-level auto saves because I think you do get that on Xbox there's checkpoints like 
Yeah. And then you can do a save, yeah. Okay, but they're quite sparing, aren't they? They're like quite few they and are, far between. They are yeah, very yeah, much yeah. so, yeah. But like, I do understand why they would attempt to throw this kind of level into the game. But not for me. Uh, so that is what we thought of the boom boom and the missions that stood out to us. So we are going to take a quick little break and then we will be back to talk about the story of Splinter Cell and just any other things that we have to add. So yeah, we'll be back right after this. All right, then let us chat about the narrative of Tom Clancy's Splinter Cell. How much involvement Tom had, we're not entirely sure. Mm, he had absolutely none. We are yeah, led yeah. to believe some, I think, is the amount <laughs> of influence he had on this game. Josh Wise, why don't you start us off? Because I know you quite enjoyed the tale of uh, Combain Nicolad's Georgian president. Yeah, with his bloodless coup. Yeah, I know I do, I do. But I'm mental. When it comes to this, I mean, I, yeah, I, it it's silliness, and I know that, but I do have a real soft spot for the um, for, and they do. Whilst I don't think that Tom Clancy, uh, I, he may have cast his eyes over an email exchange here or there, but I don't know that he had any, and he didn't create the character of Sam Fisher. It's not based on any of his books or anything, but it does chime with the with the Clancy vibe if you've read any of the books it do, it does have the sort of the kind of paranoid techno thriller uh, vibe to it. it it sort of chimes with something that Adam you were sort of saying about the um the the, the police station like the way that information is handled in Splinter Cell is really really nice like um you so you find out that the, the Combain Nicolards he sort of seized power apparently with this bloodless coup in Georgia. Um, but the way that you fight, I really like the early groundwork that you do. Uh, and like in the police station, you're sent to, uh, to to find out what happened with these two CIA operatives, uh, Blaustein and Madison, who who had infiltrated Nicolades' inner circle. You don't really know what's going on. You know that the local police handled it and there's a couple of bodies in the morgue, but it it seems to be a cover-up. You're not quite sure. So you're doing sort of digging around. And as you kind of uncover it, you really sort of feel like you're doing the detective work in the field, which is which is something that Splinter Cell does quite well. Like you don't, even though you are an assassin, if you need to be, one of the things that Sam Fisher is and spends a lot of time being in Splinter Cell is a detective because he has jurisdiction to access information. Go a little bit like Adam Jensen or Christ, even Ben Saxon. It's like, yeah, I will kill people, but that's not all I am. You know, I'm also just truffling up a bit of information for Lambert back at Langley. Uh, well, no, he won't be at Langley. He'll be in Virginia. Um, <laughs> but yeah, it's it's the story itself, you know, perfectly fine. A bit bonkers. It's about cells that sort of awaken. That they've already infiltrated America. They're sort of, and they're, it's, it's like techno terrorism. Um, cyber terrorism, I guess we'd say now. Uh, and it's a bit bonkers. It's like, oh, he activates this network. Actually, uh, the, the, they stashed a load of, um, you know, militia members, but they've managed to cover it up. Yeah, you know, through through technological means, blocking satellites and telecommunications and stuff, and actually all these things can suddenly activate, and and wouldn't you know it, it he's actually an absolute wrong one. Um, but just it's got this nice grounded, low key uh, feel to it, and it's paced very nicely. And as you sort of dig up these scraps, it it comes together quite gradually, um, which which I appreciate. Again, 
Splinter Cell, it's a slow game uh, in more ways than one, and its and its and its story is uh, is is part of that. Apart from the news reports, but I know that you want to talk about that, Colin. I hate the news reports. <laughs> so most of the story and the cutscenes and all that is actually told through Morris O'Dell who is a newsreader, <laughs> not Sam Fisher. No, Morris O'Dell is the main character. Uh, yeah. He is the news anchor for a network called First News Wire. And I think this idea is all right, but I just think the execution is horrendous. Mm. You never, ever get to hear a full report. And I'm like, what? Yeah. <laughs> what? Like, these these cutscenes generally range from about 90 seconds to two minutes, to, to two and a half minutes maybe for some of the longer ones. And for whatever reason, they decide to show you parts of one news report. You're not even getting parts of like different ones. Mm. Uh, I don't know. They should have just made the reports tighter if they wanted to keep the duration down, but have them be one coherent thing. The first time it happened, I thought I'd pressed a skip button or something. (laughs) It's awful, awful, awful. And look, I'm going to play it for uh, our dear listeners here who maybe haven't heard it. So uh, what you're going to hear is maybe the most egregious example in fairness, but it's it's not like the others are a ton better. So the setup here is that this is after the first mission, uh, uh, the first mission in the Chinese embassy, sorry, I should say. Uh, Fisher believes that the Chinese government is in cahoots with the Georgian government, um, something that is disproven in the next mission. But uh, and actually, you'll get a bit of big bad combine Nicolad's Georgian president in this as well. So take a listen to this. Though the evidence itself has not been revealed, U.S. intelligence is claiming to have proof of China manufacturing nuclear weapons, a blatant infraction of international treaties. China has made an unmitigated denial of the charges, restating the belief that diplomatic talks with China continue to crumble. U.S. military forces are mobilizing towards the anticipation of possible hostilities. China again denies any involvement in Combein Nikoladze's Oh my God. Broadcast through the internet just minutes ago. Cannot allow my nation to be subjected to the blatant international despotism of the United States or the cronyism of its allies. The world is not yours alone. And the soldiers you send into it are all equally guilty of American fascism. At 5.30 p.m. Greenwich Standard Time, the United States soldiers captured in a just war against their motherland will be executed. Their deaths broadcast for the world to watch. Christ almighty. Do you, do you, get, what, do you get what I mean when I say like, yeah. it's, it's from the same, <laughs> it's the same segment of news, but it's like glitching and going, and, and it's glitching mid-sentence. And oh, I think it's, Oh, I cannot stress enough how awful it is. It's it's funny. Uh, yeah, I, I that clip in particular, uh, outrageous stuff. I know you did want to talk about the sort of uh, the, the the cyber attackness of of mm. the the story though, Josh, and how this came out just after nine eleven. Yeah, it, and it's so actually weirdly, I, I think it sort of ties into the to the glitchy news broadcast because I, I do think like. One of the things that Splinter Cell does well is it is obsessed with like 
telecommunications and uh, and it's obsessed with the media and I think that's why it chooses to tell quite a lot of its story through those news broadcasts. And I love, <laughs> I love the way that when the news broadcasts are kind of broken up, you see like zeros and ones flying across yeah. the screen. It's quite funny. But it's just like, it, it, it is about, it, it sort of realises even, even in 2002, although it's set in 2004, it sort of realises like, you know, th- this, this, this is and or will be how wars uh, may well be fought and actually it may will be information and and the speed with which that information can be transmitted and sort of disseminated and picked through and actually that that information um will come through very very fast and actually the speed with which that information is available to all may not be something that you would want uh, you know i mean they're broadcasting on the news the involvement of china and actually, as we find out, uh, and it's sort of the game hedging its bets a little bit, I think, but we find out that, in fact, it's not China uh, that, that are involved with it. But, 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 you know, you've already got that alarmist news report. And it, I think a, a game at that time, and it's not going to be uh, planned. It's not a direct reaction to 9-11. I mean, it can't be just by virtue of when it came out and dev cycles and all that sort of stuff. But... Some, and I think Metal Gear Solid 2 did similarly. It, you can't help but look at it through that lens, but sort of look at it in, in the wake of 9-11 and the way that information was being um, sort of broadcast around the world and, and sort of the failure of the intelligence services. You've got sort of like real uh, physical wars, but then they are shadowed and sort of undergirded by the war of data that always goes on in the background. And I think... I think it's fair to say that it was, if not ahead of its time, Splinter Cell, that it had its finger perfectly on its time in that moment. Uh, part of which must be by accident and a bit of good luck, but not good luck in the wake of the Iraq war, but, you know, circumstance, I should say. But do you not feel it never turns the camera back on itself? No. You said, in this game, it looks like at one point, America and China are going to go to war. We're looking at World War Three here. And along with Commandos, I suppose, and mm. The Last of Us, and I don't know, the Assassin's Creed, maybe. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like, this is among the stories with the highest stakes, you know, that we've covered here on Stealth <laughs> Like, the news, the yeah, news yeah. is reporting, like, China and America, we're going to throw hands here. <laughs> and I suppose when I say it never turns the camera back on itself, what I mean by that is like it never turns the camera back on third echelon the nsa america and in 2023 it's probably one of the more dated aspects of this game mm-hmm. I, I i feel like during mm-hmm. the intro to the game you see text pop up on screen that tells you that you have four freedoms we you know they played the trailer at the start and yeah yeah, um, yeah. got a bit of it there but your, your four freedoms are the freedom of speech freedom of worship freedom from want and freedom from fear now i looked this up on wikipedia i didn't know ab- about this speech that this man man gave you know i have enough i have enough time researching the actual game <laughs> i i must say i was ignorant to the speech in america in 1941, U.S. President Franklin D. Roosevelt gave what is apparently called, you know, the, the Four Freedom Speech. And it includes what I mentioned. But in Splinter Cell, and I think you even mentioned this earlier, Josh, a fifth freedom is introduced. And the fifth freedom is the freedom to end a motherfucker. 
It is basically, it's enacted where, when Sam is allowed to kill people in order to protect the other freedoms. So America, fuck yeah. Mm-hmm. And like, does the game ever come to grips with, you know, the disregard for human life or the complexity, I'll even say, the complexity of killing to stop more killing? No. No, no, it doesn't. No, no, I think I think you're right. Yeah. Don't get me wrong. Okay, I, I like a bloodthirsty action hero is cool sometimes. Like I grew up in Western civilization, as you two did, so I obviously think this. We all do, and we're probably all a little fucked up from it as well. <laughs> but like Splinter Cell is a story that is, yes, Tom Clancy realism, but it is trying to like ground itself in some mm. reality. So it does stand out then when no one on the team is questioning what Sam Fisher and Third Echelon are doing. Even just a little bit. It is, it, yeah, there are definitely points where it's like, I don't know, it just feels a little bit Team America, hoorah. I, yeah, no, I, I, I do. I do. I think that's an absolutely fair criticism. And, and, I, and I think at that time, uh, it, 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 it it was so delicate. I mean, it, it, even even war films, uh, you know, the sort of jingoism was. It, it took a long time for that stuff to die down, and and after nine eleven and stuff. I think particularly, you know, American movies, American media. Let's say, obviously, it included video games. I mean, it wasn't really until an, a, a, another another decade, really, until you started to get films that really kind of looked at. Uh, uh, you know, actually, maybe America ain't so great. You know, I'm sort of thinking of stuff like um, uh, Zero Dark Thirty. What was the, the the Hurt Locker? Though even something like the Hurt Locker did it through, which I think was like 2007 or eight. Uh, sort of looked at, re- really sort of honed in on the human aspect of it. it. It's not as if it was particularly damning of of America's involvement in war. It was just hyper zoom in on the, on the human aspect and look at this guy's trauma, you know, that sort of thing. It's similar to something like Jarhead, which was like yeah. set during the first Gulf War, but you're meant to sort of look at Jake Gyllenhaal's character and just sort of look at, well, this is the human cost of it and whatever you think of the politics behind it, here it is. With Splinter Cell, not so much, especially not in this first game. They actually do go on to do some really interesting stuff with that, even in this, in the second game with the whole... Actually, are we doing the right thing here? And Pandora Tomorrow has a couple of lovely moments, but we're not talking about that now. We're talking about Splinter Cell. Uh, and, and I think you're right. I think it's very much, there are some bad guys over there and Combain Nicolades is, is, he's got some speeches where he, you know, chews America out. We just played one of them, but he's definitely the mustache twirling yeah, villain yeah. of the piece who is absolutely <laughs> bonkers. So yeah, it's a fair cop. I'm guessing Adam, like you've put down in this doc, just that the Tom Clancy stuff goes in one ear and out the other. Pretty much. And I think you summed it up there by saying, call him like the, the whole team America thing. I just, it's always just been that way for me with any of his stuff, <sighs> whatever. Like, that's all I really can say about it. There's just something with the overall Tom Clancy tone that doesn't really grab me. Josh, you enjoyed the the relationship between Sam Fisher and uh, Irving Lambert. I do. I do. Yeah. And I know, again, uh, in this first game, there's only like a little bit of it. 
you get it you, you sort of get that sense that they've got a kind of history it's helped by ironside being very dry and sarcastic uh and and uh, but the, uh, it develops really really wonderfully across the series uh and they sort of barb back and forth with each other there's mentions of uh Sam asking for a pay rise uh, and 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 things like that, and then Lambert saying that uh, well, he was doing stuff at the expense of the taxpayer and all that sort of stuff. It's like just it's incredibly dry uh, as as it as it sort of has to be really. There's nothing overt here and laugh out loud. I mean, because you know Metal Gear Solid is unafraid to go for out and out slapstick comedy, you know. But whereas Splinter Cells has to be much more fine. But I do just love it, what it can get away with. Uh, little moments in the script which is officially credited to Clint Hocking uh, and J.T. Petty. Um, it is like one, one of the more sort of restrained and, uh, why I say like boring performances by Michael Ironside when you look at his film career. But I do think that like Ironside absolutely nails it in Splinter Cell. I do think it's one of the more sort of enduring, you think, it's a bit like David Hayter. It's like, I think of the character... Mm. I immediately think of that voice uh, and I think it, yeah, I think Don Jordan for, for Lambert sort of nails it as well. Would you like to hear the moment that Lambert and Fisher meet? Yes, please. This is before the training mission and I presume Lambert and Fisher haven't seen each other for a while. There's a weird joke in here that I don't fully understand as well. See if you can spot that. <laughs> but yeah, take a listen to this. Sam Fisher. I can't believe you beat me here. I like to be early. Hello, Colonel. You can use my name. The room's safe. Lambert. Good to see you again. I trust NSA orientation is going well? Well enough. Everybody's been real coy about what exactly I'm allowed to know. It's the nature of the agency. We don't let any one person know everything, which means we've all got to work together. Even though I'll be out there alone. You'll be transmitting to us in more ways than you can imagine and we'll be online through your earpiece and opset. And that's how we're handling training? Yep. Sorry to make you run the course. I know you've been taking care of yourself. I haven't been in the field in years. Sure. But tradecraft is something you don't forget. It's like riding a bike. Or wearing high heels. <laughs> what? <laughs> <laughs> what? I don't really think that there's any... I, I don't, I'm not, I'm not, there's no, I don't think there's any history on that line. I think that's just a, a wonky line of dialogue. <laughs> so you liked these people, Josh. I, mm, I liked one and that's Sam. I don't care for most of these people, most of the people in this game. Um, the characterization is poor. Lambert, Sam's handler. Grim's daughter, who's Sam's tech person. Wilkes, who's Sam's nerd. They're all just, to me, nothing. No meat on the bone at all. Even when they try to give these characters emotional moments, it falls so flat. I'm thinking of Wilkes. So this nerd, this dweeb, he's shot at the end of a mission. Don't care about him. Who cares? <laughs> and after they're shot, you get a cutscene of that character's you know, that character's emotional moment, right? It's, it's the moment they die. So listen to this. And I just, I want you to hear how long the game allows you to take in the emotional weight of this moment. Uh, t yeah, take a listen to this. I'm killed. You shot me. I, I, I don't want to die. 
You'll be all right. What's it supposed to feel like? You've been shot more than anybody I know. I don't... I'm gonna be okay. Brooks. I'm gonna... I'll live. You're dying, Brooks. Are you all right? Is that a joke? I'm sorry. Turn. We're headed for Myanmar. The mission's not over. What about Wilkes? We're scrambling for a replacement. We might have a runner in Japan we could borrow, a woman named Cohen. <laughs> I, uh, the music there was sublime. That was unreal. No, just, uh, I don't know, it's a two seconds you have to take in the fact that this guy is dead. Anyway, moving on. Yeah, bizarre, bizarre scene. I, I don't know, I, I feel like most of the characters where they try and add some weight to them, it just doesn't work. Like another example is Sarah, who is Sam's daughter. She is such a non-event, a, a purely a narrative device to get Sam to speak in a slightly hushed, caring tone at what, three different points in the game that come, that come to mind? <laughs> I, I, yeah. I also don't fully understand, Sarah, because, dear listener, Josh Wise tells me she's meant to be 18. But she sounds like a child and her character model looks like a woman in her mid to late 30s. I, I, <laughs> I don't fully understand. But anyway, here is a bit of a concerned dad, Sam, talking to his daughter, Sarah. Dad, is that you? Sarah, it's good to hear your voice. Are you coming home? The TV said you guys beat Nicolas. It's not that simple. So you're not coming home? No, honey, not yet. But soon. What age is this character meant to be? It is weird, because I... You pointing this stuff out is probably quite good for me, actually. Because, of, because these characters they all really develop quite a lot over the course of the series. It's actually tough for me to like, re- like sort of gauge actually in that first game, most of them are quite undercooked. Like all of the people really come into the like Grimm's daughter really becomes, she has great banter with Sam later on, but going back to just this game number one, you can sort of see like uh, the ingredients are kind of there, but you're right. Like, Everyone, everyone who's kind of not Sam, and for me, Lambert, kind of dry and sort of a bit dead on arrival and a bit, well, literally in the case of Paul Vernon Wilkes Jr. But yeah, you're right, Sarah. Yeah, just a sort of non-presence in, um, in the first game. Sam is this, you know, stoic, sarky, operative out in the field. And I, I, I don't mind that. And I, th- I think it is, it mostly does work, but... I just it because the characters around him are so shoddy, and the attempts to make you f- care about Sam are half baked. There are points where it kind of falls a bit short, and like I, I maintain that Sam just being this caricature of an action hero doesn't play entirely well in twenty twenty three, but I do have a clip of him here. Uh, this is in the Kalina Tech mission. This is just after he meets a guy called Ivan. And so this is in-game, not during a cutscene. And Sam just wants an encrypted key that the character has. And I just, just before I continued on, I wanted to kind of play that so the people at home would get to hear 
a bit of the, yeah, you know, the kind of stoic, sardonic Sam Fisher out in the field. Are you Ivan? I, yes. You are American? You are police? Yes and no. The police are on their way. Until they get here, I'm the only friend you've got, and I'm not a very good one. We have to leave. We have to hurry. They'll find us soon. That's not my job. I'm here for your encryption key. That wasn't the deal. The deal still stands. The feds will get you out of here alive, but first you have to give me the key. That wasn't the deal I made with the woman on the phone. Listen, do I come to your job and tell you how to murder civilians? What? No. So don't come to my job and tell me how to do mine. Feds are on their way or here already. You're going to be fine. You can give me the key or I can take it. That wasn't the deal. You're working from a very limited phrase book. Listen, just give me the key. I'm tired and I hate making people scream. It gets me down. Here. Thanks. And until the feds get here, find a better hiding place. God damn it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I, like you know, as I say, I, I don't mind Sam being this kind of action hero or whatever. Yeah, there's characters around him, and you know it's it's the the lack of turning the camera back. I I am a fan of uh, you don't see it too much in games, but where the guy with the guy that's like the hero dude, they are in Splinter Cell, and I think it's kind of to their credit. It, it, they are not afraid of of making it very clear that this guy's an asshole, and or that like he doesn't. He just wants the key. He just wants the encryption key. He's not. He's not. He's not like a hero guy. Like, yeah. Do you know what? Like from my experience, because again, I don't have as much history with Splinter Cell as say you do, Josh. But a series I do have history with, Twenty Four, and to me, it screams Jack Bauer. Yes. You know, that's what I see in yeah. a Sam Fisher in in this characterization of Sam Fisher. Yeah, spot on. And you know, it's funny that you mentioned in future games, uh, they very much just copy. Well, Sarah is just Kim. Um, and and, it, and in fact, it, like slight spoilers, like you know, she comes under peril in future Splinter Cells, and it's like, oh, you just you just took this from that. And actually, uh, in the second game, Lamb and only the second game, Lambert is voiced by Dennis Haysbert directly what? because of yeah, directly oh, because Josh, of the success of twenty. And then and then in all future games, it's the it's Don Jordan again from the first game. It's just the second game. How? God. They were literally just like 24 is popular. We're going to use that somehow. And yeah, but there you go. There's a little tidbit for you. Very interesting. I'm looking forward to forgetting that and then being wowed again. I'll when bring we- it up again. <laughs> <laughs> um, but yeah, that is what we thought of the story of Splinter Cell. And this is typically the part of the show then where we, you know, just any other little bits that we have to add. And Josh, I know you just wanted to mention... The Opsat. The Opsat is a gizmo, one of the other gizmos that I forgot to mention earlier when I was talking about how cool the gizmos are. Uh, it's a. It stands for Operational Satellite Uplink, and it is a little uh, gizmo screen that's attached to Sam's wrist, his inner uh, left wrist. And uh, the brilliant thing, there's a couple of brilliant things, it's where you get all your info and, uh, like, any USB sticks you find, or if Sam hacks any computers and stuff, it's logged in the data uh, tab. It also gives you your goal for the mission and a map of the mission. And there's also just a little section for miscellaneous notes. Um, I read the Opsat religiously because uh, it's. I just I love knowing all the dork stuff that the writers uh, wrote for this game. Some of it amazingly extensive, just like call logs and car- whenever Grimm's daughter like finds out 
stuff about people you meet in the field it's always uh, and like it's always on the opsat like and uh, lambert always says in every mission details on your opsat uh, and you it, like you don't have to read that stuff you can just do mm-hmm. the mission uh, but i always do because i like the context also split cell uh, has a very very cool uh well it's not cool actually it's bullshit but kind of funny uh <laughs> like a history with um uh sponsor uh what do you call it um product placement product placement yeah i couldn't summon the phrase um and it's hilarious in later games like sam is a is a is a uh, on the record as enjoying uh airwaves chewing gum <laughs> uh <laughs> In future games, as as we will we will be intimately familiar with you. You always choose airways on a mission, uh, and also I think Verizon, the mobile supplier, uh, Verizon. Is. But anyway, uh, in the first game, it's not that mad. But if you go onto the Opsat, you will see that the Opsat is made by Palm. Do you guys remember like Palm? Oh pilots yes, it and is. Stuff? You're right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. It's, and like the Palm Trio was like PDAs were a thing uh, in the early millennium before smartphones. So, like, it's just a lovely little hunk of gizmo bullshit, the opsat. But just, it's comforting to know that it's always there should you need any background information on uh, where Agent Blaustein graduated and what grades he got at Princeton and other useless information on the background characters. So, you know, there it is, including possibly blood types. Uh, and their height and weight. So, yeah. <laughs> I, you know, we typically use this part of the show to talk about maybe visuals or music. We spoke about the visuals earlier. I did want to just highlight two different tracks. One, I was very surprised. I don't know did either of you notice this, but like in the Myanmar levels, when the guards are suspicious, they play a faithless track. I was like, what? Here is the track that plays. Uh, for the the people at home, it's it's incredible how they they got faithless involved. I can't get no sleep. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, it's all I could think of when that played. That had me going. That really had me going. Uh, obviously, yes, Maxi Jazz's voice isn't in the game. But <laughs> I, I was like, this this is this is somebody who's just heard insomnia on the radio and they're like, can, yeah. we, can we do something with this? Um, yeah, but for sure. Another song I wanted to play, and I haven't edited this. So this is the song that plays during an intro movie and it plays during the credits. And I swear to God, this is the most on Splinter Cell song that's ever been created. It's ludicrous. Nothing I can say can build this up. Dear listener, this is Name of the Game.
It is so That's 2002. Yeah, yeah, it is. I yeah, and it's it's not representative of. You would listen to that and think that the game is full of boom boom, uh, but it's but it's not so much. That's bizarre. Do you know what's more bizarre? Look this up. Name of the game. So it is the first single from the Crystal Methods second studio album, Tweekend. Brilliant name. And the name that I recognise <laughs> off this, do you know who's playing guitars on that track? It's bloody Tom Morello. No way! Oh, jeez, of course it is. Should have taken a guess with the old scratching. This song, just very briefly, I'm on the Wikipedia page. It's, it's been in loads of stuff. It was in an episode of Malcolm in the Middle. It was in the soundtrack for the film adaptation of Resident Evil. Oh my God. It was in wow. both Blade 2 and Blade Trinity. <laughs> Trinity. It was in Dark Angel. Oh, I love Dark Angel. It was in ads for the Hummer. Seemingly, over the course of 10 years, this was used in quite a lot of stuff. Just the quickest of shout-outs uh, on, uh, to Michael uh, Plowman, who did the rest of the music for Splinter Cell, and it is brilliant. Uh, soundtrack to Splinter Cell number one. Very, very good. Uh, he's not really celebrated in the way that like Eamon Tobin and Jesper Kide are. Much later on, they do Chaos Theory. But it, it, sort of everything that Splinter Cell is, soundtrack's super fucking important to that. And Michael Plowman basically created the, what Splinter Cell is sonically. And I think this first game, from the little piano tone when you're caught or when something goes wrong to just the incidental creeping stuff top-notch sound design like maybe not you know harry gregson williams but not far off like it's top top work so that is what we thought of tom clancy's splinter cell we will of course give you our final verdict on the game but before that it's time to play a quiz episode of the Stealth Boom Boom podcast sees me test the gaming knowledge of my co-hosts with a simple game I like to call Who Am I? I give five clues to the identity of a video game character and you Josh Wise and you Adam Carroll must give me the correct answer. All you have to do is say stop and then give me said answer. Given the nature of this podcast, the video game character in question will be from a stealth slash stealthy video game. I will read the clues once and once only during play, unless we reach the fifth clue and there is no winner. Then and only then will I repeat all five clues. So listen up and listen up good. Let us play Who Am I? Clue number one. My first appearance in a video game was in... 2013. 2013. Stop. Josh Wise. It's not Booker DeWitt, is it? It's not. No. Oh, Stop. Good. Adam Carroll. It's not Eric Bean, is it? <laughs> it's not, no. Demis? Clue number two. If you've got money, I'll do the job. Uh, oh. Oh. Uh... Mm. Clue number three Sometimes I'm not that interested in small talk Other times I am It usually depends on what the player wants Really Uh, (laughs) uh, Okay Alright I don't know what this is Clue number four My musical tastes aren't explored a ton in my video game But if Colm was to guess I think he'd say I like one House of Pain track in particular. 
<gasps> oh, uh, uh, oh, fucking hell. Um, uh, oh my well, god. Uh, I think I know what it is, but it's. What's his name? Uh, stop. Josh Wise. Conway from Gunpoint. And this week's winner is Josh Wise. Oh, yes! <laughs> well done. <laughs> Because of jump around. Do you know what threw me off completely there, right? Because I was like, 2013, dark. We've just talked about it. Here we go. And then you, read, you were like, no, not dark. And I was like, Jesus Christ, right. And then when you mentioned the House of Pain track and one house, I was like, it's, it's the DJ one from dark. What's her name? What's her name? <laughs> oh, God. <laughs> yeah. So to go through the clues, my first appearance in video game was in 2013. Yes, good point. Clue number two, if you've got money, I'll do the job because Conway is a detective that is just focused on the job as evidenced in the dialogue. He'll take jobs from anyone. Clue number three, sometimes I'm not that interested in small talk. Other times I am. It usually depends on what the player wants, really. Because, you know, there are dialogue options where you chat to the NPC and you can just skip conversations entirely, if you like. Clue number four, my musical tastes aren't explored a ton in the game, but if Colin was to guess, I think he'd say, I like one House of Pain track in particular. Yes, the House of Pain track being jump around because he likes, he has his bouncy bullfrog trousers. He bounces around, does or Conway. And clue number five would have been, one thing I can say for sure is that I have to do some rewiring on these jobs. A detective and an electrician. I'm multi-talented. Yes, talking yeah. about the crosslink, of course. And yes, Detective Richard Conway from Gunpoint. Congratulations, Josh Wise. Thank you. Uh, but yeah, that is Who Am I for another episode of Stealth Boom Boom. So let's take a quick break. And then we'll be back to give you the verdict of Tom Clancy's Splinter Cell. All right, this is the part of the show where we give you our final verdict of the game we have just spent the last number of hours discussing. But before we give you our verdict, uh, I have some reviews. Uh, from critics at the time the game originally came out. So the first review here is from... IGN, uh, the critic being Aaron Bolding, who gave it 9.6 out of 10. And he said, quote, This is the kind of game I imagined when I used to dream about the experiences next generation consoles were going to give us. Splinter Cell is one of the smartest games I've ever played in that it challenged me to lose myself in this world of espionage and to use everything I think I know about secret operatives to get through it. Greg Kasavin of GameSpot gave the game 8.6 out of 10 and said, quote, Splinter Cell is a great game on its own merits and it offers a slick and rewardingly suspenseful gameplay experience that's sometimes reduced to frustrating bouts of trial and error. Tom Hamm of GameSpy gave it 95 out of 100 and said, quote, even though the game is extremely linear with its scripted cinematics, scripted missions and scripted outcomes, it still manages to deliver a suspense-filled gaming experience. Shay, Ethan and Milkman at Electronic Gaming Monthly gave Splinter Cell 9 out of 10 and they said, quote, to be perfectly blunt, the world of Sam Fisher is so taut, so complete, it makes Metal Gear Solid's stealth elements as good as that series is, seem more like a big old game of Pac-Man. And finally, uh, in Games TM, uh, it's uh, no byline, they gave it 8 out of 10 and the quote from the review is Ubisoft has set out to do something far more complex than any other developer has tried before and while a couple of areas fall slightly short of the mark this is easily the most advanced stealth based adventure title to date but none of those opinions matter 
No, no, no. The only opinions that matter are Adam's, Josh's and mine as we bestow badges of approval or disapproval on Tom Clancy's Splinter Cell. So how this works is that each of us will give Splinter Cell a rating. And that rating is either a pass, a play, or an espionage explosion. A pass, we don't think you should play this game. A play, we think you should play this game. Or an espionage explosion, we really think you should play this game. All rationale for ratings is entirely up to whomever is bestowing the badge of approval slash disapproval. And we change the order of badge bestowers on each episode. And this week, the order is as follows. It is Josh, Cullum, Adam. So, let's give our final ratings of Tom Clancy's Splinter Cell. Josh Wise, take it away. Okay, so I think for me, I'm going to say that it's uh, an espionage explosion. It's a seminal text. It's still a, It still remains to this day like a key text in the stealth genre. It's like, in my head, whenever I think about any kind of thing, subconsciously or consciously, Splinter Cell is the thing that I will measure it against. Not just in terms of its quality, but sort of when I'm assessing, you know, how a game treats its stealth. And when we talk on this podcast about a number of games, you know, I'll in my on some level I'll go, well, if Splinter Cell is the you know the benchmark for like how stealthy the game wants you to be, then this game is roughly here or whatever. It's like it's the thing I will measure stuff against. It's aged very, very well for me in in that it hasn't really aged. It's a sort of fiddly and occasionally frustrating as it always was. But you know, if you've played it a lot and you you know you know it inside out, it just it just continues to to to, to sort of stay as good as it ever was. And I think this, I think the story, barring I think some of the good critique that we've talked about today with, with its sort of political themes, uh, I think it's it manages to be sort of true to Tom Clancy, but 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 also just to be a fairly decent procedural mystery, which is dug up in some interesting ways. I think it holds up. I think you know, and I think it's I think it's one of the sort of iconic Ironside being in that role is sort of comparable, I think, to, to sort of David Hayter as Solid Snake. It's the first time that you see Sam Fisher. I, I think it's still basically a masterclass in how to do this genre well. Very good. So I'm next. It's going to go backwards. The story, I think, has its issues. I, I as I said, I kind of didn't really care about the characters. I didn't, uh, just the, the news reports and the, ah. But, you know, it, it's clearly, it's a splinter cell where, like, maybe the, they haven't gotten foot, and I, I say this as somebody who has never played the second or the third game. So, like, I am purely guessing, but like, maybe it wasn't fully there. You know, it didn't have fully the, the split jump down, but the, the light and dark and, and the sound, that's all. I mean, the light and dark, obviously, being the big one, is incredible. It is pure magic in 2023. And I echo mm. all these things you said about that, Josh. Like, it is such an absolute joy. And I think, despite its faults, Uh-oh. this is one of those things where it's, it's just eking over the line. Is he going to go and for And Tom it? Clancy's Splinter Cell is in espionage explosion. The things that it does well, it does better, like so much better than the things it doesn't do well. So yeah, that is my rating of uh, Splinter Cell. Adam Carroll. What say you on Splinter Cell? It's absolutely like a play. Like it's, it's a full on, like you should play this game. But there is a lot of things that I think I struggle with. And I, I, I would consider like 
its difficulty on the console, like on PS2 anyway, is it's 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 brutal. And mm. I think it's an interesting factor of this whole conversation as to like how would you lads have felt playing this game without an auto autosave? Oh yeah. No, that's yeah, not yeah. No, I, I think I, know, I think that's, that's totally a hundred percent right. Like it. as I said, like these levels are long, you know? There it, it, it was incredibly challenging. And like re, re, regarding its story, it's it's not really for me. But I'm incredibly excited to move forward with the other titles because I think I will be the person that will play Chaos Theory and go this is what I was looking for fully. And I suppose we should, at time of recording at least, uh, we are meant to be getting a Splinter Cell remake. They've yes. kind of gone quiet yes. on that. Again, at time of recording, unless between us recording and you listening to this, it's been, it's just been, they've gone, yeah, it's out, it's out now or whatever, or they have released it. But yeah, nothing on Splinter Cell remake. I don't know about that one. I think that might, we might not see that for like a year or so. But, well, yeah, unless I now look silly. but then, then. <laughs> we, we shall see. But now I can tell you to put Tom Clancy's Splinter Cell to the back of your mind because it is done. We need to think about what we're going to be talking about on the next episode of Stealth Boom Boom because on the next episode, we're going to be looking at a game that Carolyn Pettit of GameSpot called, quote, an exhilarating action adventure that serves as a terrific origin story. Chris Thurston of PC Gamer said, quote, I wanted to participate in the protagonist's journey, but in the end, I just held the button down and tried not to ruin it. And Kez McDonald of IGN said this game is, quote, well-written, sympathetic, exciting, beautiful, and just incredibly well-made. We're jumping forward a few years once again to 2013, and I do believe our first reboot now, if you haven't figured it out, on the next episode of Stealth Boom Boom, we're going to be discussing, reviewing, dissecting Tomb Raider, brackets 2013. <laughs> A famous explorer once said that the extraordinary is in what we do, not who we are. I'd finally set out to make my mark. To find adventure. But instead, adventure found me. before us we find something something that keeps us going something that pushes us lost 
I found a truth. And I knew what I must become. Tomb Raider, the new one. This was a, a suggestion. We were going to do a different game. I won't tell you what the game was because we'll play it at a different point. And this was a suggestion from you, Josh, and an interesting suggestion. I think this is a game all of us have played. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I'm incredibly excited to play this again. One thing I remember is a T-shirt. More on that in two weeks' time. <laughs> uh, but yeah, that just about does it for this edition of Stealth Boom Boom if you want to play along at home yes Tomb Raider it's available on pretty much everything so you know get that get it downloaded get it played and then hear us talk about it on the next episode of Stealth Boom Boom but if you would like to subscribe to our lovely little podcast you can do so via all your podcatching apps Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Amazon Podcasts, etc, etc. We're all there. Just search for Stealth Boom Boom. You'll find us. And also, please do rate and review us on your podcast platform of choice. That really does help. Thank you very much. You can also follow Stealth Boom Boom on social media. We are at Stealth Boom Boom. And you can follow all of us as well. I am at Cullum underscore Ahern. Adam is at Adam Zokes. And Josh is at Joshy wise but now it is time for my least favorite part of the show this is the part of the show where we must bid the listener adieu so say goodbye josh wise goodbye say goodbye adam carroll goodbye and say goodbye colin mahern sloan guffone